Midge is like this magical, mazel Jewish woman going around, getting in everyone's business. You know, she's helping. She's just a busybody. Yeah. Like, she's like, oh, she's like walking white privilege with a matching hat. <laughs> walking white privilege with a matching hat. Oh, you got to get that on a T-shirt. Actually, I take that back. I don't know if you'd want to walk around with a shirt that says walking white privilege with a matching hat. Yeah, that coffee mug. might construe that the right coffee, coffee mug. Something a coffee mug home. would work. <laughs> a coffee mug would work just fine for that. I agree. I love it. Hey, bubblers, and welcome to my streaming bubble. You know, it's that little old podcast where I talk about the shows that I love with the people I tolerate. I'm your host Jen, and with me today is Eric. So we continue. <laughs> Nailed it. I'm your host, Jen, and with me today is Eric, so we can continue our chat on the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, this time going on and on and on and on and on about season two. Hi, Eric. Hey. How and I are thought you, you? did. <laughs> I'm great. I thought you did great on that introduction, by the way. Why, thank you. I probably <laughs> will just keep that all as is, because <laughs> what's what's one of my episodes without me fumbling over my words at some point? So. I do it all the time. I know what you mean. Yep. <laughs> But it's good to be back. Yay! I'm happy to have you back. I'm happy to actually continue watching the series. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll get to the question that you asked me in our um, chat back and forth the other day on kind of my overall thoughts. But Sure. uh, So this is kind of your quick spoiler spoiler warning. You can talk. You got this. You got this. So today we are talking about the second season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Prime. And her rise from basement telephone operator to telethon performer and even a brief vacation in the Catskills. Sorry to say there was no dirty dancing. So, Eric, what did you think of season two? Well, I could tell you this without any spoilers for season three. I am all caught up on this show and I will say that season two is my favorite season. Mm. Um, I, I think this um, is not peak Maisel. In my opinion, because it really does progress in the next season, and I'm sure it's going to in season four as that comes out soon. But I think it actually comes out the day this episode airs. The 18th, I believe. Yes. I think that's when it comes out is February 18th. I believe so. Which I'm really excited for that, let me tell you. But um, I think that this season is just the most fun. You know, this is yeah. where we truly get to see Midge coming out of her shell per se you know she she's truly pursuing this now as a career for herself she wants to make a name for herself she she wants it all and Susie wants that for her too and Susie also wants it for herself and we see a lot of great progression with the family this season you know we meet Midge's new love the new love in her life you know Shazam (laughs) You know, I admit seeing him because I only know him as Shazam. I know he had his other series, Chuck, uh, mm-hmm. for that ran several seasons. Yep. But I I'm a little curious. I kind of want to check out Chuck now because I'm kind of slowly falling for Zachary Levi. I have the first three or four seasons on DVD if you want me to blend them to you. Aw, shit. Shit. Now I have to get up and put DVDs in. The, we'll, we'll figure it out. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, 
but yeah, this season is a great season. We see a, there's a lot that happens this season. And like you said, from telephone worker to telethon performer and just everything in between there. Telephone worker sounds dirty. <laughs> telephone operator. Let me tell you, I am better. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sure. We'll go with telephone operator. That sounds sure. good. Uh, but then, uh, yeah, then we have the adventures of the, the adventures and the cat skills, which I'm sure we'll touch up on because those are like my favorite episodes throughout the entire series. I mm-hmm. love the cat skills episodes and just the, the way that you just see these characters not acting like themselves normally, like how we would like, like especially especially Abe, for instance, and just kind of like kicking back, you know, putting their feet up a little bit, sort of in a way. Um, but also just Susie's progression of just saying, I don't give a fuck if you're on vacation. You have a job to do. I'm booking you gigs wherever I can get you. And she does. And it's a fun season. Season mm-hmm. two, I think, is just a blast. I would have to agree. I really enjoyed this season. And, you know, so you had asked me the other day, you know, when I was like, oh, I finished. Because I, I finished season two a lot earlier than I had anticipated. Mm-hmm. But... I think there's just some sort of like, like TV crack, Amy Sherman Palladino and, and Daniel Palladino can like sprinkle in their projects that make you just keep watching. Cause I sat mm-hmm. down one day and I was only going to watch like maybe two episodes just to kind of stay ahead of, of my pod prep schedule. And next thing I know, five episodes later. I'm like, okay, well, now I have to go get the kids. And <laughs> so it's like, holy shit. And I I think this is, I would agree, this season is a lot of fun. I liked kind of seeing that progression in Midge's comedy and her and Susie never giving up. Yeah. I, I am, <laughs> I think I'm deeply in love with Joel. I don't know why, mm. but I, I love that character and his flaws. I think the actor is a, Adorable, just absolute like cutie patootie. I know when we first recorded, I was like, oh, he kind of reminds me of like a young Jake Gyllenhaal, Gyllenhaal, however it's pronounced. Mm -hmm. I still see a lot of that. I think it has more to do with just even like his fashion, (laughs) like the clothes, you know, of the, of the, uh, just of that era. Early 60s. Yeah. yeah. I love, I love that look. I love the look of this show, the time period in terms of just that aesthetics of the fashion. Sure. And, you know, Midge is always looking great. Um, you know, her parents always look amazing. I mean, even Joel, when he's just got like his slacks and that uh, the white tank top on and everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, he looks. Oh, Lordy. Oh, Lordy. <laughs> oh, my, my, my. Yeah, this is just a fun, a fun season. From, and I like from I love Susie's, that's your opinion now. <laughs> from Susie's like del- most delightful abduction. To even the moment with Sophie Loren or Lemon or Lennon? Yeah. Sophie yeah. Lennon, not Sophie, Sophie Loren. That's an actual person. <laughs> but even kind of like the twist that took, that final mm-hmm. one-on-one with Sophie and, and Susie. Oh, at, at, at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. So I, I was not expecting Sophie to offer Susie, like, please be my manager kind of a thing. I was like, whoa. <laughs> 
That was awesome. Yeah. I love oh, it. Oh, I can't. I cannot wait till you see how that hit, how that how that go that gets handled oh, in season I can't three. Wait oh my god, it's insane. Oh, I bet um, it is. I bet it is. I, yeah. Good luck, Susie. <laughs> oh, exactly. Good luck, Susie. Is those are the right words to use. But you know, I'm really happy to hear this because your opinion of the first season wasn't as optimistic. You liked the show, but it it was more of a like, uh, you know, I see a lot of stuff borrowing from the Gilmore Girls, which I totally see where you're going with that now but you know the second season does have a very different feel from season one i i i think it does it definitely Uh, had less of those gilmore girl-esque uh kind of moments and parallels so it almost made me wonder if with the first season she was throwing more references or whatever you want to call them to gilmore girls to kind of get us you know try to get the Gilmore Girl fans and and everything um so I do I I'm liking the show more and more I enjoy watching it it's it's a lot of fun again there's just something about whatever magic crack that the Paladinos have that make their shit just so bingeable Damn you and your writing hands and your god fast talkers and everything and little um uh, the the pop culture references and just the and little even... quirks that are throughout the entire series, just like the little zingers that they're always throwing at each other, though, is so great because mm-hmm. some sometimes the smallest zinger that someone w- that 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 uh, a character will throw at another has like the biggest impact. You know, you got Susie going saying "fuck you, fuck you, fuck you," but then you have Rose, who's just like, "You want to be a comedian?" Oh. <laughs> You know, and it's just, it's like that, like the way Rose says things like that. It's just like, you know, she disapproves. She disapproves mm-hmm. of every choice you want to make, unless it has to do with marrying Joel or, yep. you know, or marrying Benjamin or just being married. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's just the shade that gets thrown around in this show is so funny because it comes on so many different levels, I think. Yeah, it's I. Yeah. Like I said, I've, I've, I'm coming around to this series more and more. And yeah, I, I I like, I like it. And I like that she's still pursuing the comedy. You know, she still gets the, are you sure you're not a singer shit, which I'm sure would naturally happen uh, in the real world during this time or whatever. But at the same time, I'm getting a little sick of that. (laughs) Just, but Uh, I'm, it's not over yet. I'll tell you that. And I, and I don't expect it to be, because that would also feel very odd to all of a sudden just, stop with those kind of uh, comments from the male uh, comedians, you know, and those, oh, or, you know, just anyone that's not willing to give Midge a chance as a comedian. They right, immediately exactly. want to cut her down. Right. But whatever is what it is. So we're going to focus today mostly on Midge and Susie, Joel, and then the parents. And I'm sure we'll hit some of the other characters like Benjamin, uh, like Imogene, or even the uh, her, si- her sister-in-law, who? Oh, Shy Baldwin too. Uh, yes. Yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, her sister-in-law. Uh, 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 oh my god, why can't I think of her name? But I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah I love. I, I loved her this season. Too. Oh my god, I felt so bad for her. I'm like, <laughs> she needs to eat something, and I think there's something else going on with her. But whatever. All right, so we'll start with Midge and Susie. So Midge's, you know, we kind of see Midge's 
life has stalled a little bit in the sense that she's no longer on the floor at B. Altman. She's down in the uh, uh, phone operating room, operator room. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the other uh, operators down there, the Colby, or was she Ginger? Either way, but she's Ashley on the boys. Oh, Colby is the actress's name. And I can't now I can't read my handwriting. Oh, but, yeah. I know exactly who you're talking about. Wow. I didn't even put that together. That is her. Yep. So it was the, red, the red hair girl. Yeah, right? Ging- yes. Because yeah. I think her, her character's name is Ginger. Oh, that's just funny. <laughs> but yeah, so it was kind of nice to see her not getting all stressed out by Homelander <laughs> and her hair not falling out. Right. But I do enjoy that actress and the things that she pops up in. So it was nice sure. to see her For sure. in, in this. Um, so yeah, so she's kind of that's where her day job is uh her and Susie are still working real hard to get gigs but between uh harry and sophie kind of putting a kibosh on that they're they've struggled but midge eventually rises from the operator basement to the coat room to the coat room (laughs) and from there she they are able to book shows but she keeps getting bumped but she doesn't stop right and gotta love that so What'd Never you think? leave the booth. <laughs> Never leave the booth. So what did you think of Midge and Susie this season? Uh, Relationship-wise, I feel like they're closer, which is great. I think Susie has upped her game with trying to make this happen for her and make this happen for Miriam. She's really trying to be, really trying to fill that role as manager. And she's working really hard to do it with whatever resources she has available like in the very first episode like second scene of the first episode where she's woken up out of a sleep out of her sleep by a booker uh some booker out east i think like you know philadelphia or something like that and she's like um uh she's like how'd you get this number he's like oh i got it off your card and she's like what that fucking worked you know (laughs) (laughs) you know so it's just like it shows that, you know, she wants us to work, but at the same time, maybe she had her doubts a little bit that people would take them seriously. But now that she knows that people are loving Midge and loving what she could bring to the table and how she can make people laugh, she's in this to win this, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think her and Miriam are on the exact same page when it comes to that. I mean, yeah, they do have their moments, moments of doubt. You know, I think that we see that in almost every season so far, but they always rise above those moments of doubts Mm -hmm. and they, you know, whether if they're getting, you know, uh, mustard on their dresses, you know, Mm -hmm. or if they're bumped to the very last slot in the telethon, you know, due to some vindictive evil fat suit wearing person, you know, whatever. Uh, Midge and Susie will make the best that they can out of any situation they put that they put themselves into. And in the end, they always come out on top, always come out on top. So, yeah, uh, I think Susie is done. is fantastic this season. Uh, and again, like you mentioned, she had the, she had like the world's greatest kidnapping ever take place when she met Frank and Nikki. Um, I just love that. They ended up getting along so well. And then by the end, they're just like, you know what? You're, you're, you know, from the hometown or whatever, your neighborhood girl. And we'll just say we, we couldn't find you. And (laughs) 
And I love that Frank. So that Frank's like, I married an Italian woman to get Italian meals, and all she does is is cook Greek food. <laughs> I love that. Uh, they're such good characters. And uh, little spoiler here: they do make reoccurring role appearances uh, in the next season, and I'm sure the next, hopefully, oh. this next season. But. Um, yeah, those two guys are just amazing, and they're great. Them and Susie play so well off of each other. So I'm mm-hmm. glad that they also gave her more characters that she can interact with and just kind of have that kind of same attitude with, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, like, like they share similar – she has similar personality traits with those two guys as in comparison with Miriam. So I'm glad they gave they brought in those extra characters for her to interact with and to relate to. Absolutely. And we also meet some of Susie's family in uh, episode – in a later episode, episode oh, seven. Oh, yeah. And I don't know about you, but my mind poofed when I saw Susie's sister, Francie oh, yeah. from Gilmore Girls, head of the poofs. Or the puffs of the puffs. Oh my god! Yeah. I didn't even I didn't even think about that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, there's just another one. <laughs> yep. So I it was fun kind of to see that actress again, and because I only really know her from Gilmore Girls, so to oh, see her so do funny. a totally I didn't realize that was her. different character, I liked, and I liked that. And I like that we saw that Susie has at least one family member that's is going to yeah. stand with her and they're going to support each other. Uh, even if it means just giving Susie mom's car, but saying it was stolen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, T- Tessie was a great, is a great character. She really seems like maybe aside from Miriam, Tessie really comes off as like one of the only other few characters in the show who truly give a shit about mm-hmm. Susie and what happens with her. Yep. You know, most other characters in the show don't really have a second thought about Susie. Uh, but Tessie is really, she cares for her sister, kind of protective in a way. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. yeah, and I, I like that too. Yeah. And then there's fucking uh, Artie, who is just like the biggest piece of shit oh, ever. He's yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know you're my fucking sister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's just such a dick. Yeah. Not, not the best like family, but she's got she's got her sister and and I think yeah. I thought that was really nice because yeah it seems to be like the only other person that legitimately truly gives a shit about Susie except yeah. for maybe the other workers at the Catskills I absolutely <gasps> love oh, that Susie yeah. was the best non-employee most beloved non-employee employee. Yeah, of the cat skills and oh how God. easily her and like that other dude just kind of blended in for like that free ride, so to speak. Oh my know? God, I laughed so hard when the, the so I've watched this season probably this I think this is my third time watching this season, and I always laugh when she first meets Le- is his name Lester or Chester? I don't I, think I don't remember. I think, I think it's, it's Chester. I, I think it's Chester too, and he introduces himself to her by his real name. He's like, I'm Chester, and she looks at him and she's like. Of course you are. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, but I, that just always makes me laugh because it's such a Susie thing to say. It really is. Uh, but, um, or God, I can't think if it's actually Chester or if it's, or if it's Lester. I think you're right. I think it is Chester. I feel like it's Chester because, unfortunately, anytime I hear the name Chester, I think of the old rhyme, Chester, Chester, child molester. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's where it was go- where, where Susie was going with that too. That was kind of the vibe the- that I that so that's the impression that I took from that, and so that's why I want to say that it was because I don't I don't that that little rhyme or whatever doesn't go through my head when I hear the yeah. word Lester 
Just right, right. Chester. Just Chester. Okay, okay. Then we're gonna go with Chester. <laughs> we're gonna go with Chester unless I find something different in my notes. But um yeah, just like Susie's whole gig at the at the cat skills was amazing. Like you said, she was the most beloved employee that wasn't an, an actual employee. She brought her little plunger with her everywhere and she became she emotionally attached to she her plunger. She named it. Do you remember what she named her plunger? Because fuck, of no, course I, I didn't don't. write it down. I didn't write it down. Uh, but she Darn. named, yeah. But I thought that was funny. Like when she got locked in the closet at that one gig when they went on tour and she saw the plunger in there and she was like, it's all sad and depressed. Yep. <laughs> 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 oh, that was good. That was good. Yeah, she, I, I love Alex Borstein and she's, she's so funny. And my husband didn't realize that she was in this show because he's like, I'm not going to watch that with you. And I was like, that's fine. But when he saw her, he's like, oh, I like her. And I was like, "Eh, you'd probably really like her character. Yeah. So did did Timmy end up watching it with you at all? Not really. No. No, no, Okay. (laughs) I think you would like the show. I think, I think the show's for everybody. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, it would take, yeah, I don't know. But Okay. He he does like Alex Borstein and and I, I think he would enjoy her character. Maybe just a, a YouTube clip of Susie's best moments is all I'm sure need. somebody out there compiled a YouTube clip of oh, every time Susie says the word fuck. <laughs> and it probably lasts forty minutes or something like that. You would think she's like a member of the Doom Patrol with how often she says the word fuck. Oh, don't get me started there. I don't nope, nope, we're we're not gonna have that conversation. Susie and the Doom Patrol? That would be amazing. <laughs> Her and Madame Rouge? No, okay. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> Her and Cliff. <laughs> what oh the fuck? God. What the fuck? <laughs> Just her and any of them. That'd be great. You and I are drawn to characters that say the word fuck like a lot. Like a lot, yeah. And yeah. Peacemaker's another one where it kind of oh, gives good. Doom Patrol the run, the run for them. Is it? F-word okay, money. I can't wait. I oh, can't yeah. wait. I love it. So... So, yeah, so Susie, love her. I'm very, because, like, even in the beginning, you know, she's she gets abducted because, you know, Harry or Sophie, whoever, is, like, kind of yeah. after her. So right, right. She, she stays at the Wiseman's for a while because they go off to Paris. And we'll get, we'll touch on that a little bit in a, in a little bit. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's very displaced. Susie's very displaced in the first few right. episodes of the season. And she even swaps apartments with the Italian family mm-hmm. in her mm-hmm. building. And for them, it's an upgrade. Um, <laughs> and she, she ends up, you know, with her, with Susie trying to be like this great manager and booking all these things. She racks up a pretty sizable phone bill. Her phone bill was $46 in 2022 dollars. That's $433 27 cents. Wow. I, I didn't do the conversion. That's insane. I didn't either. Google did it, but I was Thank kind you, of yeah. I was kind of curious because you know Midge at one point she's like, "Well, I'll loan you the money," and Susie's like, "Well, it's forty six dollars," and, and Midge's like, like oh. "I'd have to borrow that from my yeah. dad," mm-hmm. and it's like, "Yeah, I know that you know the conversion's all different and everything," but I was like, "How much was forty six dollars in?" And I just did nineteen sixty because I couldn't remember the exact year we were in at that point in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think it's still like, it was still like 1959 or something, but either way, 
Yeah, it but was, the long four hundred and thirty-three. She got screwed on the whole long distance thing. Anything outside of a two-mile radius of her house was considered long distance, and technically, that call she was on mm-hmm. with the telephone company was a long distance call. Come on, what a terrible, shitty phone service! Even for nineteen sixty, what a terrible, shitty phone service! I laughed so hard because she's yelling at the guy about like you, you signed me up or you sold me a shitty phone or shitty phone service, and all I could think is like, man, even back in nineteen sixty, people are going against their phone, their phone provider about bullshit charges exactly so yeah so i love i love Susie. i love alex borstein in this i love how she's really kind of coming into her own as a manager as Mm -hmm. midge's manager yeah and eventually apparently sophie's manager as well Uh, yeah We'll yeah. save that for the season three recording. Yeah. Let me tell you. <laughs> but Sophie offers the management position to Susie because Sophie is surrounded by so many yes people. And I felt like Sophie got bougier this season too, but regardless, it's still Jane Lynch and love her to pieces. Yeah. So sure. seeing her in like a more bougier setting, even this time from season and one. And you know, was you awesome. kind of, and what's weird is. In those last couple episodes, you feel a little sympathetic, I think, in a way for Sue or for for uh, uh, oh my god, Sophie. Sophie. Oh my god, I kept having Susie in my head. Um, for <laughs> Sophie Lennon, you 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 felt a little sympathetic for her because when she was explaining herself to Susie about why she basically wanted her as a manager, like you said, she's surrounded by yes men. She's surrounded by people who say that if you basically, if you take off the fat suit, nobody's going to like you anymore. Mm-hmm. She always, and she explained that she had, for lack of better words, she had bigger hopes and dreams for her acting career that she yes. would be taken more seriously. And she wanted a manager who would actually fight for her to get mm-hmm. her to where she wants to be. So in a way, Sophie Lennon is also, although she's like the biggest fucking comedian probably on the East Coast and maybe one of the biggest in America at that time, she's also a product and a victim of her times as well. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you want to be a successful woman in the 1940s, 50s, even going into the 60s. However, that's fine. You can be that, but you have to play by a man's rule. Mm-hmm. You know, you do it the way that we want it done. Yep. Okay. And that's what Sophie Lennon wants to get away from. She believes that going with Susie will help her, help her branch just out. branch out. Exactly. And be herself, be the person she wants to be. I will not say anything further than that because you're going to see a lot of their relationship in development in Sophie's career in season three. But holy fuck, we're going to have a good conversation once we do our season three recording. I can't wait for that. Oh, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I loved I thought that was a nice little surprise twist that, you know, we're all thinking Susie as well, that she's just going to get ripped a new one from from Sophie. But no, she gets she gets a fucking job offer yeah. and she gets a new fur by the I end of it. I was just going to say, how great did she look in that coat? <laughs> that coat was so much bigger than her. She walks out and she's like, she looks down and she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love that that's just Sophie's parting gift to everybody. It's a and, 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 her, and her butler said the same thing to, to Susie. And she said to Miriam, like, Miss Lennon's only worn it twice. Yep. Oh, yeah. So that I'm I'm really excited to kind of see where that goes because that I, will be very entertaining to watch. Oh, you know, yeah. Susie and, and Sophie and those two interacting and trying to. And what's very interesting is this how that's all going to play in with the relationship between her and Miriam. I oh, won't I say bet. anything else more than that, but Oh, I bet. 
that that makes things interesting between her and Susie later on. Because at the end of this, at the end of the season, uh, when Midge goes to Susie to tell her about being offered to open for Shy, what was Shy his Baldwin? One? Shy yep. Baldwin. Um, because this was after Susie got back from Sophie's. Yep. Susie didn't say anything about Sophie. To make she tried. She? I, well, no, she, she tried, but she, she did. She did it, but she tried. She, I don't. Okay. I, she, in the end, she didn't. Uh, I don't think she wanted to bring Miriam down. Miriam was on such right, a high right. from and being asked from one of the biggest stars in the world to open up for her. You know, right. open and, up and, for him. And and Susie's excited too because we also see at the end uh, she's holding up like a new kind of suit for her to wear. I think when she goes, because Susie's hang, holding up something nice to wear and she hangs it up on her shower curtain or you know mm-hmm. shower curtain rod so my take was that that was her new outfit for when they went on tour and not for sophie's management but maybe i'm incorrect in that but i think there's it only was for one the way to find tour. out or i'm actually skimming through my notes really quick on episode 10 i'm starting to think did she tell her i don't think she did i don't think uh, she i think she tried to i think it was kind of one of those they both they both had really fun and exciting news but midge got hers out first and yeah that's really what they've been together working towards so for for Susie to drop this bomb of basically right. like i may have to step out on you for a bit to go deal with yeah i don't have anything handler. in my notes saying that 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 i would have definitely written that down so yeah i'm gonna say that yeah that did not happen so you're absolutely right because that would have killed the whole entire mood mm-hmm. you know i am now the manager to your enemy your arch nemesis you know right all right so that's pretty much Susie for this season yeah so midge she obviously, as we say, she's got she gets the uh, telethon offer. She's playing some less shit holier clubs, but not at the best time slots. Or she keeps getting bumped. Right. But she well, makes she's the fucking best killing it. it every yeah. time, though. Yeah. She makes the best of it. She, you know, because there's the one uh, club that she's at, and all the go- all the guys go up before her, and they keep talking shit about her. That's the one where she spills mustard, and she's all sweaty yep. and unkempt. Yep. She takes them down spectacularly. Oh yeah. Even to the point where the eventually the club owner is like has her back. Cause she comes back and he's like, Don't be taken, don't be talking shit about any of my main guys now. And she's like, I won't. And she does great. So it well, was go ahead. Sort of. Sort of. So yeah, that same guy has well, her back. But then but he fucking she, pulls her off stage once she starts talking about like pregnancy and things like that. He was like, You can't talk about that shit here. That's dirty. That's girl stuff. It's, it's vulgar. Like, yeah, and it's like, well, you're talking to you got guys up here talking about fucking dick burgers and shit like that. And it's like, that's different. That's funny. It's like, I mean, again, this is just this is being acted as if it, from the perspective of the times. I think gotta, it's pretty representative today, too. I think a lot of people are very uncomfortable with pregnancy and period talks and stuff like that, where most men are very uncomfortable with that. I find that we don't see it so much on stage because female comedians are up there. They're doing their thing. They're talking about these things. Sure. But I think the reception, I think there's still I still think there's a fair amount of ew, even from women folk. Oh, I mean, I guess I, I I I associate myself with a brand of comedy and people who associate themselves with the same kind of humor that I just don't even think about it like that. You know, like I'm a fan of uh, like Lisa Lampanelli or um, for better or worse, I kind of like uh, uh, Amy. Oh, what's her last name? Schumer. Schumer. Thank you. I wanted to say Schumacher, but I knew that wasn't it. 
You know, I, I love female comedians that just are so blunt and open and honest. I, I really do. I love that style of comedy, you know, and they can call out their own sex. They can call out other sexes. They can just talk about what it's like to be that, you know, be them. I love that. So when I hear there's people out there who just cringe at that style of comedy, it blows my mind because this is real, real shit they're talking about, you know? Yeah, but it's not and, proper. It's not, it's not proper. It's yeah. not proper. It's not things ladies should and that, be and talking I think that, about, even and, for a laugh. And I think this is why I'm, why I'm partially drawn to this show is Miriam's comedy style, the comedy style of this entire show in general, but her stand-up in this is the type of stand-up I love. Mm -hmm. I love this style of comedy where you're talking about real-world issues for for yourself, for everybody else, and just how it is. And um, yeah, just the idea that people can't get into that just really blows my mind. But everybody's different, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, so with Minge, you know, her... I also love the part, too, where she's like she's on the phone with Susie and she can't believe with how much she can't believe how much she says fuck now and how it just comes out of her fucking mouth. Holy oh. fuck. <laughs> can't even fucking believe it. it you know, it's a comedy. So because, yeah. Um, and so that was just kind of a quick moment that I, I just thought was really funny. So but then Mitch takes a little vacation. A little vacation. It's like two months. Yeah. To the Catskills. To the Catskills. With her folks. Yep. Um, we see them leave with the children, but I don't ever recall seeing the baby ever at the Catskills. Not when they pulled up. Someone came and scooped up Ethan and was like, hey, it's time to go have fun, blah, 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 blah. But no one pulled the baby out of the car. Yeah, they made reference to that when they were started walking to their cabin, and uh, one of the one of the worker boys there was like, "There's a baby in the backseat," and Miriam's like, "Yeah, bring her too." Okay, you know? I missed that part, but oh, okay. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like they, the Paladinos know how to write bad parenting. <laughs> That's funny, and it is actually funny that you bring that thing up about the baby because I there's that episode. I don't remember if that was, if it was after the cat skills. I think it was after the Catskills when Esther says her first word and she yes. says, mommy, she's like, and, and when Miriam figures out that it was Esther, you know, she was like, mama, papa, Esther said her first word. And they just both peeked their head outside the door where she, Rose is like, did she? And Rose is like, good for her. And then they just go right back to doing what they were doing. Yeah. It's like, that's just, uh, that's so them too. It really yeah. is. <laughs> I feel like the kids, I feel like the kids on this show just. They don't have bad parents. They just have the most, you know, not the most uh, attentive parents in the world. <laughs> Joel's okay. I don't know. I don't know because one minute he's talking about he needs to make sure he gets his own place. You know, he's, he's when while he's still living at his folks, he's like, I need to get my own place that's good and safe and appropriate for the kids. And then it's just like that back room at the warehouse. I'm like, that's not an appropriate place for children. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But whatever, he had to get out and it he made it whatever. Yeah. But I <laughs> those poor fucking kids are just such an afterthought. <laughs> and at um, least at least the writing is like leaned into that and made it part of the joke. But you know of... that they are caring parents, especially when Joel finds out that Benjamin was in the park that one day. That wasn't know? so much a parent thing as it was an insecure man thing. You think so? Oh, yes. He has, I mean, he has valid reasons. Yes. Like even Miriam even brought up that point that they hadn't, her and Joel hadn't discussed any of that in the introduction of uh, new perspective partners to the children's lives. So he sure. does have a reason, but I feel like it got exact, like how he truly feels about Miriam is 
what really blew that out of proportion. He does have a right to be upset about that. Miriam did her best to be like, it was, she's like, I did not plan that. He showed up. Uh, My mom, you know, whatever, yada, yada. But I feel like it elevated, the elevation was because of how he still truly felt, feels about Miriam. Sure, sure. Okay, I I guess I can I could see your point of view so on that. So it was two parts like romantic jealousy, one part parental kind of mm-hmm. jealousy in my okay. eyes. My my All right. Take. I, I guess I can see where you're going with that. Sure. So I know that we got you you know we just got to we just jumped to the cat skills, but I think yeah. before we go any further to the in the into the cat skills cuz I think there's still quite a few things to cover there. I think before we do that, we might want to bring up the fact that where we started with the season was we found out that Rose had actually moved to Paris. Um Well, I wanted I was going to save that. Oh, okay. And and the Wisemans and the Maisels for last. Oh, okay. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. I wanted to get the the main players out of the way first. Okay. Sure. Okay. Fair so. enough. Didn't realize that when well, you brought the cat, cat skills, I thought, okay, let's let's get into the cat skills. <laughs> yeah. Let's get into the cat skills. But we will circle back a bit to the cat skills when we touch on the Weissmans and the Maisels. Because <laughs> Moish is... Anyways, his uh, the way he, you love Moish, shows, don't you? <laughs> oh fuck yeah, I love Moish. She's utterly ridiculous. I love how much he drives Abe nuts, and even the way Rose kind of goes back and her little subtle digs of you know, in a passing conversation about their burial plots, and Rose was like, and. He, any plans of going there soon or something along oh, those oh, lines? Oh, when Shirley, when Shirley says, uh, oh, I would love to be buried in Florida. And, and Rose yes. is just like, oh, what is this going to happen? Or sometime Some, soon? Or, something yeah. along those lines. It yeah, was, yeah, yeah. It, it's a classic Emily Gilmore kind of backhanded dig. And I yeah. love it. I love it. But so the cat skills. And we see my favorite was Drunk Abe. In his romper. And is a he was obliterated. Obliterated. And the way he talks to Joel about his romper, and he's like, Do you want to see it? And Joel's like, No. And then he sees him in his romper. I love that the song uh, Chicken Fat played when he when he was exercising too. Wasn't that just so perfect for that yes. moment? I really thought it was. We have so I love being able to I love seeing this family kind of just kick back and relax for a little bit and mm-hmm. just enjoy vacation life and vo- enjoy Catskill living. Uh, cuz who doesn't love a nice fucking vacation? You've got all these events going on that you can mm-hmm. or don't have to participate in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I said, I I was very much like if there's no dirty dancing or if someone doesn't get put in a corner or taken out of a corner, I'm going to be very very upset. Man, the cat skills at least at this portray, you know, I don't I haven't seen the cat skills portrayed in uh a lot of uh uh a lot of a lot of entertainment outside of this show and from Dirty Dancing, but man, the Catskills really does seem like it's like the whitest place on earth. Well, yeah, it's. I mean, holy the Catskills shit. really was kind of a a sanct- a vacation sanctuary for Jewish people in mm-hmm. in the time. So it's gonna be pretty white. yeah i mean you got the whole steiner song thing you got the you got the simon says games yes yes where's my note about the uh hold on here's my paper my paper sounds (laughs) fuck where'd it go oh ending the season and the musical number by the staff i wrote not the 
merengue. <laughs> <laughs> and then the little around the world number. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that was supposed to be like cringy and, and a tad racist. <laughs> it was a little cringy and a tad racist. A little. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, kind of with this show and its time period, it just it makes me wonder that. Is it an excuse to kind of put these things in there and, quote, get away with it? Because we as a viewer knows that this is not appropriate. Right. To put it in for any kind of guttural reaction of like, oh, that was cringy. And look how inappropriate things were then. Oh, things are still fairly inappropriate now and to certain extents. Because there was a couple, there was kind of that moment and a handful of other moments sprinkled throughout where I'm just like, again, I feel like it's just a, and it, to have it have shows take place in the past like this and I don't know, throw in what actually happened. It just it feels like an excuse to to get away with these stereotypes, the misogyny. It's easy to write characters that want to fight against an oppressive male dominated system. Mm-hmm. You know, we we talked more about that in our season one recording, mm-hmm. but I couldn't help but shake some of that. It wasn't as prevalent, but again, it's just kind of like, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? And I totally get it. I mean, you know, the final, uh, the, you know, the clo- the closing song to the summer uh, with the Catskills episodes was, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was fairly racist, I think, in the, mo- you know, in, in the most part. Um, I, I mean, it, the, they decided not to go the route of blackface, which was fucking, I guess, good on them. I mean, because yeah. I think that scene could have been honestly a lot worse. Than oh, what it, it was. of course it could have been worse. Um, of course it could have been. Now that but doesn't I mean, did it have to be an around the world thing? They could have literally picked any theme. I mean, they literally whitewashed like so uh, a lot of stuff there, a lot of other cultures, and uh, um, I mean. Like, for instance, like, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I laugh when I see it, but I also just, like, sometimes I feel bad laughing at it is, like, the part when we say Su- when we see Susie. Right. You know, Susie, I think, what country she represented? Brazil, I think it was. I think it was I Brazil. Think so. I think so. She was in the, the crop top, and she was yeah, shaking it. And I just and love that dancing. also, as a side note, that she also got roped into the employee uh, final number musical. <laughs> gotta, gotta, gotta keep up appearances. Yep. So, I mean, she's gotta get away with it till the very end. But, you know, I, I don't know if it's so much just them trying to, for them to write this in just because they can do it. I think it's still a product of the times. Um, so maybe shit like that was going on at these resorts, you know? I mean, I don't know. They probably, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, but when you're making a show that takes place then now like why i don't know i guess there's other ways to show that these things happened and not such a obvious i don't know it didn't really the whole thing didn't sit well with me i didn't really (laughs) Like, like it like I think they tried to make it funny, which in some cases, I guess, in a small roundabout way, there were some f- f- a lo- like the, like the Susie moment was a funny moment in my opinion. But when we look at it from an o- from a from a larger perspective and a bigger scale of what was being portrayed during that final show, that final show at the Catskills, you got to think that folks from other co- other countries, other from other cultures, you know, probably wouldn't find that so funny to see a bunch of Americans. Uh, just kind of, for lack of better words, kind of ridiculing 
these other the, these other countries and the and what well it's like what we said uh kind of i think in our last recording uh about stereotypes mm-hmm. you know they brought out every stereotypical thing you could think of for like that you could that you could think of per for each one of these cultures i don't remember who was all represented but i remember that i know the most offensive one on there i think was the china one yep um and i was just like dude what I get what you're going at, but at the same time, why do you have to go there? I mean, is that necessary, especially when we live in a society that's now kind of getting more progressive as a society, and now it seems like we're kind of falling back in some ways. Do you really need something like that, you know, in your show? But again, I mean, at the same time, I think they're not doing it. I don't think they're doing it for the the purpose of being racist. I think they're doing it because these were the times, and this is probably what people were actually seeing back then. And if these shows, like, you know, if places like the Catskills back in the 60s were putting on, were entertaining people this way, then maybe what they're showing us is just how shit really was, you know? Fine. That's fine that they want to show that. But it's like, it seemed unnecessary here. Yeah, sure. You know, Uh, I think there's other ways that they could have portrayed that moment in time, but not as offensively. I mean, Dirty Dancing did, they had, you know, we get the idea that their end of the end of the season employee number is kind of cringy. I'm sorry, but Lisa's not a great singer. So when she's singing her hula hula song, that's Mm -hmm. cringy. (laughs) (laughs) But also not like racially ethnically offensive i again sure i understand that maybe they're just trying to be more representative of the time period and the things that existed and happened fine you've got the whole fucking series to do that you didn't have to take this moment to throw in the racial stereotypes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you could have shown that within the cat skills in another way you know Maybe make some off-the-cuff racist comment about why there's no Asians there or something. You know, as opposed to the the gong and the people in the, and the outfits whole, and the rice yeah, hats and, and the everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I totally feel you. So it's, again, it's that whole, like, when are, you know, when is it necessary and when is it completely unnecessary to play up on stereotypes and these kind of tropes? And is right. it always necessary even in period flicks or shows that, and I mean time period, not menstrual period. <laughs> like how necessary say. is it? So that's just, I mean, I don't, we probably could go on and on about this, but I don't want to spend too right, much more right. time, but it is that's something fine. that I, I thought of, I always, I kind of continuously think of when I see these things, not just in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, but in anything else that takes place in the past. Yeah, right. So, and you know, and you and you have a good point. I mean, I think in some mediums it, it's acceptable. Like if, like if we're doing, you know, something that's like take a movie. I'm just throwing this out there as an example, but I'm not going to dwell on it too long, but uh, take like the, the movie 12 years a slave, for instance, something that's historically accurate to what was happening to people at the time, something like that. And the images they were portraying on screen for a film like that is completely acceptable because this is not for a comedic purpose. This is to fucking educate you right. on, you know, through film of what was, you know, of what it was, 
probably what like to be a happened. to be a yeah. slave. Yeah. yeah. Whereas this, <clears throat> it's like making fun of other cultures for the sake of making fun of other cultures. Mm -hmm. You know, it's basically a law. That's that scene kind of was like a very long you know racist joke yeah you know yeah. um and so. that we should just laugh because it's a joke it's just right. it's meant to be funny don't take and it so seriously we're just joking hey and there she is <laughs> not that funny so explain the humor you know what i mean it's like when someone now and, uh, tells like a racist joke the the kind of one of the comebacks he, is I, i'm sorry i don't understand that can you explain why that's funny yeah, put, putting them on the spot. So and you know, the only thing that I found funny about that entire thing is Susie's moment, yeah. and it's and the only part about Susie's moment that I really found funny is the look on her yes. face the entire time, and when she just goes like this, and she's, and she's like jiggling, shaking she's it. shaking yep. her chest. Those are the only moments where I really laughed because it was so out of character for Susie. Absolutely, and they still could have done that final number of damn near anything, and they still incorporated any dance Susie, retune. and exactly. yeah, and it still would have been funny in that you know Susie's experience in that would have still been right funny and right just so, her so. just her whole like okay I gotta do this because I gotta just keep up this persona mm -hmm. you know but yeah I, I hear you dude I hear you so fully. okay so that's what I had to say about at least the that musical number and within the episodes in the cat skills mm -hmm. so other things that we're introduced to in the cat skills aside from slight racism is is Benjamin. 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 Sam. So, dude, I had no idea Zachary Levi was like eight and a half feet tall. <laughs> dude, he's so tall. He's isn't so he? tall. He's so tall. And you know, when you see him in any other shit, anything else, I don't think he's really seen as that tall of a guy. But oh, geez, he's what? He's like six four or six five. Something. Isn't he? Uh, yeah. So, but yeah. So I I loved him, and I'm not gonna lie. At first. At first glance, I wondered if maybe he was gay, if Benjamin was gay, okay. you know, and that's maybe why he hadn't settled down with anyone because he's looking for someone who's, you know, as he described, weird, um, which was also a really funny moment when Rose's ears perked up all of a sudden. She's like, I know a weird girl, mm -hmm. like all these other yeah. things the mom yeah. was saying, Rose hones in on weird, weird girl. Yep. But yeah, he... But there was just that small moment at the end of like that episode where we first kind of meet him too, yeah. where Joel's standing on on the deck, smoking a cigarette, and Benjamin comes up and asks for a light, and they just kind of have a brief conversation. Yep. For some reason, my note was like, "Oh, oh, does Benjamin is is there a reason why Benjamin hasn't found an, a quote nice girl or a weird girl? Because is he maybe not looking for a girl at all?" But nah, I was wrong. I. Whatever, that's fine. <laughs> it's okay. But I'm, yeah. So I'm. I've never watched Chuck, and I might have to go and try and squeeze it in my limited TV watching time because I think I am falling for Zachary Levi a little bit. He's so handsome. He's really a good character in this show too. Um, yeah, let's he, get back on topic. <laughs> he fits into the Maisel universe very well. I love the scene, and I'm not going to quote this perfectly here. I don't think I think I wrote it down, but I don't want to dig for it in my notes. But I love it when they leave when he takes her to the Broadway play. Yeah, and then during the intermission, they're both just like, "What the fuck are we doing here? This play fucking sucks." Is basically what they were saying. 
So instead of that, they leave, and Miriam's like, I know where we can go. And they go to see Lenny Bruce. Mm -hmm. And they go, and oh, how perfect was that, man? Uh, They see Lenny Bruce live. They're both having a great time. And then... When he gets up to make a call, because he's on, because he, he's a doctor, Zachary's Surgeon. a doctor. Yeah, he's a doctor. <laughs> you know, Lenny comes and sits down with a comes and sit down with Miriam, and you know he notices that she's with somebody else, and she tells him that he's a doctor, and Lenny's like, oh, he's like, you're dating a doctor. Your mother must be verklempt. Mm-hmm. You know, just. <laughs> And I just thought that was so good. It was so, uh, I mean, again, we were talking about the, this show portraying stereotypes and how the Palandinos kind of like to do that. And this is, in my opinion, kind of an appropriate stereotype because it is, it is true. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You know, and I, I can't speak for the Jewish experience, but I, as only to like the Asian experience. And let me tell you, there's a lot of similarities in conver- based on conversations I've had with other people, mm-hmm. uh, Jewish people, mm-hmm. that the amount of guilt that's doled out, the mm-hmm. expectations of the children of the next generation of mm-hmm. between education, uh, finding the right person, a successful person, not just be- not just someone for love, Right. But you know, someone who's going to take care of you financially. Exactly. Yeah. So it's I can absolutely kind of appreciate more of those stereotypes because I feel like those also exist within uh, Asian communities and existences. Sure. We know, like there was, there's one meme from uh, Shang Chi where it's like someone's like oh what was the most unrealistic moment in Shang-Chi and it's the screenshot of when the mom tells little Sean that she's proud of him <laughs> cuz I'll tell you that shit don't happen often <laughs> oh that is funny as hell oh my god so so there are i guess so i you know i think we all have certain stereotypes that we will accept and let slide or are absolutely like, yeah, that totally nails it. And it's, and it's still funny cause it's not hurtful. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. I, I, and well, I feel like keep... something like that kind of comment, Oh, your mother must be so proud. It's yeah. just more funny than hurtful. I may be wrong. Other people may interpret it differently and that's totally yeah. fine. Right. Right. And if it's a stereotype that's kind of like been accepted in that actual community, sure, then yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Because, I mean, I'm Jewish, and I know full well that the whole that whole scene that I just described with, mm-hmm. you know, Lenny talking about how her mother must be verklempt for dating a doctor, you know, <laughs> it's a long-running gag and a long-running joke in the Jewish community, not so much as a stereotype from the outside, from anyone yes. outside of that community, You're you know? Right. So that's why I appreciate that joke, because it is funny. And I think that's the big distinction, is that it's almost like this joke-slash-stereotype originated within that within the Jewish community itself. Sure. And from there kind of grew. And that's why those kind of references or whatever are more accepted and right. more um, and, and not hurtful is because, right. yeah, in, in, in order to survive, I mean, it could have been like a, in order to survive, we must make jokes and find levity in things. And this is uh-huh. definitely something where the kids may still feel the pressures of like making sure you find the right one, the right girl, nice girl, nice, nice guy, no genteels. I don't know if I said that right, um, where they're able to find humor in some sure. of these very like 
pressure-filled, almost toxic levels of expectations. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so, no, you're absolutely right about that. But the, but that but, was a good. I just wanted to say that you you, you mentioned that it came, almost comes within from within the community, accepted by or even birthed mm. within, and I think that makes a big big difference. Yeah, and I completely agree. I mean, what I mean, honestly, whose parents wouldn't love to see their son or their doctor ma- or son son of their doctor? <laughs> What are daughter, you trying to say? What are you trying to say? Daughter, who wouldn't want to love? Who? What parent wouldn't love to see their son or daughter married to a doctor? Yes, I completely, I completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. All right, but you know, I mean, when you when you belong to a culture, you know, and belong to a community of people who have been scrutinized and persecuted for you know thousands of years you got to find way to i guess to make light of it sometimes i guess you know um but then there's the stereotypes that the show also throws out there that i don't find to be as relatable even as a jew Mm -hmm. and the main one is actually is what we were talking about before uh kind of before the recording and since we're on this topic i'm going to bring it up it was the treasure maps and with surely hiding money all over the place i feel like I I kind of think it gets a damaging it's kind of a damaging uh, uh stereotype for Jewish people. Jews aren't the only cheap people in the world and Jews don't aren't the only people in the world who fucking you know are stingy with money and hide money and things like that. I know less Jews that do that than probably other pe- the people from other, you know, religious backgrounds and cultural backgrounds. So, it's just that Jewish people just kind of get this rep, bad rep for it for some reason. And I think that being portrayed in the show by Shirley and by Moish with the treasure maps, I think it does more damage than good, personally. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, it had kind of its funny moments. It's like, oh, this is such a Shirley fucking thing to do. Right. You know, and Trying we're to just make it more of a person thing and not so much well, a, a cultural and, yeah, and the whole thing about, you know, Moish not trusting banks with loans and stuff like that, and they'd rather go through loan sharks than actual banks, you know, yeah, it's, that... it, it, it's not a good image for the Jewish community, in my opinion. But the funny thing is, is that Jews love this show. We, we, we Jews really do love this show. But, you know, like, I know, I think I mentioned this in my, in my last, in our last uh, Maisel recording. My my mother used to work for the Milwaukee Jew the yeah the JCC Jewish Community Center and she also worked when I was younger for the Milwaukee Jewish Council. Um, a lot of her friends from her work friends who were people that actually I ended up kind of growing up with a little bit and getting to know. A lot of them actually really do love this show. When I see that, like in the in the instances that I get to see them or talk to them, sometimes we talk about TV and movies. You know what he's saying. A lot of them are talking about Mrs. Maisel. So obviously, there's something here that's appealing. Sure. And and I don't think that these moments are really these moments that maybe don't sit so well with me personally. They're not reasons to like dislike the show or they're not, I I don't think, prevalent enough to be like, oh, this is just a bad take across the board. Right. These are moments that are supposed to be light and and, and funny and just kind of bring a little bit of that levity to to the series. Right. And in no way, shape, or form do I think that uh, Amy or uh, is it Daniel? Daniel. Daniel. Yeah. Daniel. Daniel. No way do I think that Amy or Daniel are racist or prejudiced in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I don't think that is at all what they're, you know, what they're trying to portray for themselves, you know. The writing is clever. Mm-hmm. It's great. It really is. It's really good writing. Um, it's just that, like you mentioned before, do we have, do we really need 
this particular thing to be said when mm-hmm. something else could have been said instead. Like with the lab, with the closing at the Catskills, for instance, you know, mm-hmm. they could have easily have done any other type of really funny, humiliating dance number for Susie yep. where she would have felt just as awkward. Yeah. But it, it is what it is. Cringy. You know, if it was supposed to be cringy for us, the viewer, they again could have picked literally anything else. But, uh-huh. but you know, when we talk about the treasure, you know, Shirley's treasure maps and everything, and that it's, it's a, it's a Jewish, you know, stereotype of the, the hoarding Jewish person, money hoarding, right. whatever. It does also seem to fit within the characters. Cause we don't see yeah, it Rose. Does. That's the thing. We don't see Rose and Abe. You know, squirreling money away. And I think exactly. if we'd seen Rose and Abe do that or something, or that was a practice even Joel or Midge themselves did, anyone beyond these two characters or in addition to these two characters, absolutely then it, I think it would, I would feel that it would cross a line into a, a hurtful stereotype. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Where it's like they took this kind of stereotype, but they incorporated it only into these two characters. And right. while we don't know a whole hell of a lot about Shirley and, and Moish, you know, kind of the the background of the trying to save money and not trusting banks, sure. it, it, it does kind of go along with that. I can absolutely see Moish maybe being someone who doesn't trust them, whereas Abe is someone who right. does not feel that way. And you know, we don't what... know enough about Moish and Shirley's life experiences to yeah. really kind of solidify this, but... I will say overall, in general, the fact that Shirley is was in charge of the books and <laughs> yeah. charge of all of these loans oh my and everything God. was funny. I I I love the I love Mama and Papa Maisel, yep. and they're they are great. I wish that maybe sometimes they could be given just a little bit more. Dial but, it back just a little. Well, yeah, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Okay, and you, and you, you know, know what with, I'm saying. I get what you're saying. And like, you know, it's like, I do love them. Um, and yeah. I, and you know, the further the show goes, the more I actually learn to love these characters. Season three surely trips me out so much and I can't wait for you to see it. But like in this season, like one of my favorite Shirley moments, it's very quick. It's between her and Mrs. Moskowitz, where Mrs. Moskowitz is trying to make sense of Shirley's record keeping. Yes. And she's like, she's like, okay, so I see that we have Sunny spelled three different ways. There's an IE, there's a Y, <laughs> and there's a, I can't remember what the third one was. And she was like, are these three different Sunnies? She's like, no, they're all Sunny. Sunny is Sunny. <laughs> it's like, it's like that is such a Shirley thing for only her to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. in her world, that makes complete and total sense. And I also love the fact that she takes gambling so seriously, especially oh against her grandson when they're playing war. Who knew <laughs> oh Shirley God. had? I mean, I guess we could have seen it coming, maybe. But who knew yeah. Shirley had such a gambling problem? Dude, when she's playing mahjong and she says she was down twelve hundred dollars. Twelve hundred. And God. even no by today's standards, that's like I, what? No, sh- I didn't do the conversion on that because uh, I was like, I don't need to know. No, 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 no. <laughs> but still, like, if I was playing a game and I was down 1,200, I would not keep playing that game. I'd be like, I'm fucking done, dude. No but, shit. But she's a competitor, so she's in it to win it. So you got to love that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just... The Mazels are great. They are really fun characters. And yes, I guess if there's going to be any two characters in this show that's going to live up to that quote-unquote yeah quote-unquote stereotype sure. you know jewish stereotype 
there's no one better in this show to portray that than I guess Mr. and Mrs. Maisel. Because you're right, Abe and Rose are not like that at all. Joel is not like that at all. I don't know if Imogene and Archie are Jewish. I don't think they are. I don't are. think they are. No, no. because Imogene's, Imogene only has Gentile friends and can't set anybody, can't set oh, up with anybody. Because okay. I think gotcha. that was a conversation that happened at one point. Oh, okay, okay. But even even Benjamin is Jewish, <laughs> um, and he doesn't give off that. He's a doctor, but he doesn't give off that kind of, you know. Right penny pinching kind of uh, stereotype. No one so, else at the Catskills gave that, uh, you know, gave that kind of vibe. That's right. So I think that the fact that that was reserved for these two characters is gonna is appropriate for this. Now, if they if that was wider spread amongst the other Jews in this show, I think I would start to actually start feeling a little offended by what's going on on screen and what the Paladinos are trying to portray mm-hmm. and how they're trying to portray Jewish people. But I'll let it slide because it's Moish and Shirley. <laughs> I, I, okay, I, I'll go with that as well. I let it slide because it's Moish and Shirley. And I do love them. And I, I love the actors that they have for Moish and Shirley. And I, they are a lot of fun. They are, they are kind of more of the com- comedic relief out of, yeah. out of the side, side cast. Yeah. And like, even, um, I messaged you about this the other day. But when they arrived to the Catskills, their arrival to the Catskills was even cringeworthy because their Moish is laying on the horn, you know. They're and just then, embarrassing. They're just oh embarrassing all around. And, and, and Shirley's wearing this huge fur coat on like maybe like a ninety degree day, and they're like and. and they're just going out. They're talking to all the people who are trying to help them. All the I don't know what you would call them, the bellboys or whatever. Sure. Sure, cabin boys. But they're all trying all these people are trying to help them load the cars. Moish is having the most ridiculous conversations with them about like about like pots and pans and like you slightly used clothes and stuff like that. And then over the PA system, as we see the camera panning in on Abe, the uh, the guy in the PA is just like attention. Tension Shriners, Abe and Shirley Maisel has arrived. And then he goes, I repeat, <laughs> Abe and Shirley Maisel have arrived. And this just like very upsetting and sad tone. It's like, great, mm. the summer is fucked. Yeah. He's slowly <laughs> dying on the inside as he's yeah. announcing them. And then we also kind of get that shot of Abe standing off, watching them show up and just... Like his face just, his face just going, oh no. Mm -hmm. He's so expressive in his, in his facial expressions. He's so good. God, he's such a good actor. There was a couple of times where there's, he just appears. And when he, or like the, they're talking about Abe or whatever. And then the camera pans over and he's standing right there. But the way he's standing there, his posture, the look on his face cracks me up and almost like a little scary like a, ah, yeah. how long you been there but he's just there looking very <laughs> a and like hey, very like hey. disappointed and <laughs> yeah well it's just like with the whole thing with miriam at the club in yes. the cat skills you yes. know oh my gosh We're, like she started freaking out you know she started i don't remember what the joke was but it ended up with her seeing him and saying papa yeah, it was like a sex joke, and but then yeah. she caught the eye of her father, and so the yeah. line ended up making it sound like she was had oh had like dad. sex with her dad. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's kind of how it went, and like she paused for a moment, and because she was just so in shock that he was there, and Abe just has this disappointing, just completely stare. disappointing stare, this look on his face that would fucking make anyone's children just fucking break down. 
But what does she do? She goes about that moment in the only way she knows how. She continues to joke. Mm-hmm. But the jokes are now become a little more awkward, you know? Because now she's still rambling on about her family, but then she's like immediately taking things back to it as if she's apologizing to her that, dad. That didn't really happen. You know? No, no, dad like, doesn't do that. Mom doesn't do that. Oh, that but then was she so makes, funny. And then like she's like, my mother what my mother would have sex with whatever for Frank Sinatra tickets. Not that she <laughs> would do that. You know? She's like, mother, my mother's never had sex. Well, maybe once, but or twice. I don't, you know, it was so funny. But I then she it. makes she makes that a crack about how, and I found this to be like I understood why they threw this in because of the moment but in the end it would like ended up being like i think what really tipped it for abe is when she said that uh when uh her mother has sex with him she doesn't think about she only she she thinks about the brain that she's having sex with Mm -hmm. not the body or the penis or whatever it was she said and it's like i think that was the moment where abe was just like Oh, no, you didn't, mm-hmm. you know? Well, in um, that set, too, that she was doing, it was a midnight set, so she was allowed to be raunchier. It was yeah, supposed right. to be a dirtier set than what she would maybe... I mean, not to say her shit's like PG, but she definitely kicked it up a notch. And mm-hmm. I thought I was really happy that she still came out of that performance uh, on top and yeah. that didn't frazzle her too much and that these kind of little stuttery moments of where she's trying to take back the joke about, you know, when she's joking. The crowd about still loved her. They you ate know, it she up. did a great job. Absolutely. Even that club owner who was just like, she yes. doesn't look like cause she's funny. She better be funny, but make it a big deal about her appearance. And then he's like, I want her back, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, it just shows that as a character for Miriam, despite the situation that she's in, no matter how awkward it is, she ends up pulling herself out of it the only way she knows how, and that is through her comedy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it kind of is like that, um, that thing that they say about comedians where comedians basically take the tragedies of their lives and they make that shit funny, yep. you know? And I think that's kind of what we're, we're seeing here, you know, not that Miriam's life is a tragedy, but Miriam's life is a very privileged life, you mm-hmm. know? And um, she's taking that privilege and she's making it into a joke along with other things that are going on with her at the moment. But, and I think that's, I I, I respect that, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. She's making them and she does really well kind of even on the fly too. You know, the, the series opens with her just randomly taking the stage and just kind of more or less venting, but doing it in a way that people found funny. So she's able to kind of hone in on that as we see in the progression of the series. So, uh, I thought she did. A, I thought she did a really good job in that, and I was a little, I was a little worried when Abe was like, "We're not going to tell your mother about this yet," because mm. I'm like, "You guys didn't learn your fucking lesson." And again, we'll yeah. we'll get to the Weismans. Um, yeah. But if we're if we're done with the cat skills, I was thinking we can maybe that we would shift now to include Joel in that a little bit. Oh, your new well, crush. My new crush. Mm-hmm. He's adorable. He's. I think, you know, here's the thing I like about Joel, other than just how he looks with just that white tank top and his slacks, <laughs> <laughs> is right away at the beginning of this season, you know, it, we're kind of coming off the, the right off the ending of season one. He's found out about Midge and her comedy, and she's funny, and he admits that. Yeah. This was like my favorite and like no pun intended stand up moment for Joel in that he knows that she is funny. 
he knows that he can't handle being her husband while she's up being funny. So he removes himself from the equation so that she can succeed and doesn't have to worry about him having to hear her do that or not be supportive because it's awkward for him or make it awkward for her. Right. I loved that. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. Absolutely. I thought that that truly shows me that these two, that he still really loves Mitch and he wants her to succeed. And that was a big, big moment, I think, for Joel. And I think it's just nice to see in television that in the context of like this relationship and one of them's off to go do something else that the best way that that partner can be supportive is to no longer be their partner. And I think it says a lot about, you know, it does say a lot about his character, yes. you know, and you know, at the beginning of the sh- series, you know, we kind of got a sort of opposite impression of Joel, you know, um, the high, strong corporate type who wanted to be a comic, but his wife is better than him. And now he just thinks he's less of a man because of it. You know, he feel, you know, and it's just like, it, it left a pretty bad impression of Joel right away. But then at the end of season one, when he defended her, defended her honor, I guess I would say, mm-hmm. by beating that guy up in the street who said that women aren't funny. You know, and he kept saying, she's good, she's good. At, keep in mind, he was drunk as fuck when that happened. But still, I think that was more of a sign of things to come. Yeah. And as season two progressed, and now with everyone and their moms knowing that, literally, actually, everyone and their moms, especially at the Catskills, knowing of Joel and Midge's relationship and them being split, Everyone has these different expectations of what's going to happen between them. And and that was another favorite Joel moment is when he straight up went up on stage and was like, yeah, this is what happened. Like up on uh, when they first get to the Catskills and they're doing their weird, weird culty chant. Clap yeah. Thing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Midge is like, I've already had this happen and this. He's like, yeah, me too. And he goes up there and he's like, enough. This is where we're at. Fine. Right. Fuck it. And then, he gives ca- and, then, and then he calls out the director for not letting her <laughs> participate in the bikini contest. You know, and let me just say really quickly here, she looked better than any of the other girls in the Epic King contest, even as the Sash girl. She Hell still yeah. fucking killed it. Her, she I still killed that, it. I love that she named, like her and her mom have names for Midge's different outfits and everything because. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of like relatable. One, one's a little racier than the other. Yeah. Yep, the Mimi Van Dorn versus, I can't remember what the one piece was or whatever, but then the mom, Rose, was like, you're wearing your. The, you're, like, you're wearing, wearing the, the Mimi, Mimi Van Dorn. <laughs> yeah. But back to Joel, um, you know, Joel has really matured in this season. Now, granted, he does have his moment later on after, you know, he finds out that, you know, Benjamin was in the park and he goes out hitting the baseballs with Archie. But that that was just a moment. I feel like he could that could be forgiven. And I I think that's I think that's reasonable and understandable. Exactly. It is. I I don't fault him for that entirely. Not at all. But I mean, there was no consultation there, but at the same time, this was not planned. So mm-hmm. Joel just didn't, it was in the moment right there and couldn't see that. You yep. know, he just saw some other man with his kid. And you're right. It was probably him also feeling uh, a little. Uh, like he's about to be replaced in all aspects. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's a good way to put it. So, but overall, aside from that moment, Joel is very supportive of this. He knows this is good for her. And at the same time, like what you mentioned, he knows this is so good for her that he has to he has to step away. Mm-hmm. He understands that she's going to be talking about her relationships, her past, her and everything that's going on. His name's going to get dropped in her sets. He knows this and he respects it. But at the same time, he can't be with her if it's going to happen just because, 
I don't know. I don't know the right words for that, but I understand what he's saying. Yeah. I get it. You know, he could be the brunt of her joke as long as they're not together. Yeah. But he could still be friends with her. They could still maintain a very, very close relationship. And she goes and does what she has to do. And it's a, it, it's something that lasts. So I am happy to say that it's that that's Joel. Joel is like a fine wine. He's getting better with age he in is. this show. He is. And season three, Joel really comes out of his shell. Wait till you watch. Oh shit. Stop it. Wait. Oh, I'll stop. But um, <laughs> I'm actually excited. I'm more excited to see Joel's progression in this show on season four. Hmm. Um, than I think Miriam's because Miriam's story is going to be very interesting with season four. No spoilers attached, but I really want to know now what's going to happen with Joel because, yeah, yeah, Joel season three is amazing. But um, uh, real quick, the other like one of my other favorite Joel moments in this season was 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 when Susie got locked in the closet. And, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's like I get it. You know, who else is is Midge gonna call? Who else? Who else? You know, she's used yeah. to calling Joel. Whatever, I that's fine. Yeah, but the yeah. fact that he's still zero problem, zero hesitation, ran down there, and I hate that. Uh, you know, we have these strong female leads that still need a man to come and fix their problems. But again, a sign of the times, and yada yada. They needed a man to come save this fucking problem. It's true. And get Susie locked, unlocked from the closet. Right. But then, and then the way he continued to handle that about make you, you fucking pay her. She's funny. Right. Fucking, and he's, you know, standing up for her. Yeah. And aside from my own personal issues of like, oh man, saving a lady. Like, I loved it. I, I just, I loved what that meant for Joel. And, what that meant for like how much he still cares for and respects Midge yeah. and Susie. Absolutely. And then he's even though he threatened to kill even though he threatened to kill Susie at the beginning of their <laughs> tour. Oh my God. Oh my God. He was like, I'm gonna fucking like carve you up into little pieces and fucking you know, run those pieces over with my car and but such, it's like he whatever. didn't have to go down there and uh, and do no. anything. He didn't. So and, I, but and it yeah. had nothing and then in in the end. I, and I get what you're saying, like the whole like damsel in distress kind of thing of what it kind of what it may have looked like. But in the end, I don't I didn't take it as that. I saw it as one friend who happens to be your ex-husband helping out another friend. Yeah, that's how I saw it. And it's also it was also late end of the night. And, you know, Midge isn't going to leave without Susie. And she's tired and she just kind of doesn't know yeah. who else to call. Of course, she's going to call the person that she's been with for the last you know, 10, 15 year, however long they've been together. At Say this what point. you want about their relationship with each other. But I think those two, even though they can't really be together anymore, I think those two trust each other more than anybody else in the world. Absolutely. You they know? still trust each other. They still love each other and they both need therapy. <laughs> just, but in the end, they do just end up making better friends than they do. Yeah. You know, you know, partners, which is really awkward considering how this season ends. And you know what? I wasn't even mad about that when she I was really like, wasn't either. I, was I like, wasn't. I, I felt bad for Benjamin, but I knew that wasn't going to, you know, he's, he's right. the handsome face of the season. Somewhat yeah. of a conflict with, you know, romantic interest slash conflict. Um, 
Obviously, you know, the parents like, liked him too. You know, Rose liked him too much. Abe with Grill and Benjamin. Oh, and I just love references. I and all just of that. love Abe's whole, like, finding out it, like, <laughs> approval process for him to marry her. Uh, even after all the credentials that, that Benjamin gives Abe and everything, he's just like, I don't know. He asked for, like, <laughs> third, like 20 or 30 personal references or something. And he said that he almost made his decision based on the books that he read in the last year, too. <laughs> that was so funny. That's, it's so Abe, though. It's so Abe. So Abe. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no matter how well, how far along you've come in life, you'll never be good enough for my daughter. Yep. You know? Exactly. So, so. I, so even with all of that, like, like I said, I knew nothing was really going to come of her and, and Benjamin and the fact that they were even talking about engagement seemed, mm-hmm. uh, it didn't seem whatever. Yeah. And then, so when she, you know, finds finds out that she's going to go on tour and she wanted to celebrate that that night with someone who loved her. She yes. went to Joel. And like yes. I said, I ain't even mad about it. I was really happy. <laughs> and we got to yeah. also look at the emotion, though, that built up for that scene. Because right, right before... And I know, just want to say that I don't... Yeah. I'm not expecting or necessarily want these two characters to get back together as a as a couple in upcoming seasons. Yeah. But I I love that moment for them. I guess I just love two characters that will still kind of acknowledge in some extent or another that they still love and care for each other, but they know better. They have slip ups for human. She wants to spend this night. She wants to celebrate her big win. Uh, with someone that she knows loves her for her. She knows how much Joel yeah. supports this. Yes. Benjamin supports it too, I think, right? Because he saw her. He's like, oh, oh yeah, she's funny. You Who are going to... So, God, so hard. To, so I, I, I hate it when we do recording together and I'm like a season ahead because I'm so bad with spoilers, but I, I've gotten better with not giving any details <laughs> out for upcoming show seasons. But I will say this. You, I hope you, I, speaking for me personally, I love Benjamin. I really do. I think Benjamin, through season three, becomes just as lovable as Joel does. And you're not going to see Benjamin as much just because he's fucking Zachary Levy. Okay, so I'm sure he came in when he had the time to do his scenes. But the the lines that he gets, the interactions he gets to have with Miriam in season three are all amazing. And you are going. there's going to be a moment where you're going to feel for Benjamin. And it's a sad moment. And it's going to be a fuck you Miriam moment. But you'll know it when you see it. But yeah, uh, Joel really comes out ahead, I think, from the end end of season two going into season three. Mm -hmm. And I think what happened at the end of season two needed to happen for both of them. Yes. In order for them to move on from each other, though. That's the thing. And if we look at what progressed into that scene, you know, She's uh she's at the Al- she's at the Steve Allen show to support Lenny Bruce who is a guest uh, who's a guest star mm-hmm. you know and you know if, his bit that he did and singing about being yeah, alone. If and... you're if you're none the wiser, you're thinking that he's just going to do some dirty act, and it really wasn't a dirty act. It was actually a very 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 cool and awesomely scripted com- comedic story that he told about a woman and her man and just like how they break up and get back together break up and get back together and miriam is listening to this with the look on her face basically kind of seeing this as like her and joel's relationship but then he starts going into how this man has made it he's the top of the world but he's all alone you know mm-hmm. and he's the one who got away you know but he has nothing to share his fortune and his wealth with but he's 
he knew this was what he had to do. And Miriam, I see, took, I think took that as a sign that if she's going to pursue the life she wants to pursue, if she wants this for herself, she has to accept that this is a lonely life. Mm-hmm. And it really is. I cannot imagine what it must be. Uh, or I mean, I'm sure it might be different today than it was maybe back then, or even going into like their nineties, you know, but it must be lonely to be a comedian, you know, and feel lonely, especially if you're using your own pain to make people laugh. Mm-hmm. And she took that as a moment for herself to go to Joel and tell him about the tour with Shy Baldwin and that she's decided down this path of loneliness because she wants this for herself. Joel doesn't really know what to say, but then she says to him that she just wants to have one last night with someone who loves her. Mm-hmm. And so she wouldn't be alone because I think right after that, that's when her real life was about to begin. And it, and mm-hmm. it, and it does. Yeah. And uh, see it. God, I'm so excited for you to watch season three. I wish I could watch this show again for the first time. <laughs> wow, that's quite the statement. Mm-hmm. I I also liked the moment too when when Midge had gone to Joel uh, after the Lenny Bruce and everything and kind of laying it all out for him. Yeah. That when she got the call to open for uh, Shy, that she didn't even hesitate. Oh. She just said yes. And that she acknowledges that that's, you know, clearly like a selfish kind of thing to do. Like, doesn't take anybody else into consideration because this is what she wants to do. And that's great. Her dream's coming true. Yep. But how that all is going to end up conflicting with personal life, romantic life, be Altman life, and the life that her parents and community want for her. Yeah, absolutely. And you got, you know, and there was that after she accepted and, you know, she had that moment before she went to Joel and went to Steve Allen, she had that moment with her father in the fucking closet bedroom where, yeah. you know, he She's says trying that to pack and he's trying to say, like, I've I've given my blessing. And yep. all of a sudden it hits her like, oh, shit, she there's Benjamin. She didn't even think about it. Mm-mm. Yep. But she could at this point, what was she going to do? Was she yeah. going to back out? I no. mean, give up her dream for a man? And, you know, she, you know, I don't care how in love you are with somebody, unless you're already in a, something that's fully committed and it's been long term, you have a family, things, there are sacrifices and sometimes dreams do have to be sacrificed for family. That is absolutely true. But she was just still at the beginning of this relationship with him. Mm-hmm. So. I feel like her taking this opportunity is a good thing for her. And I don't think she's screwing over Benjamin in any way by saying yes. It's going to complicate their relationship, but I don't think for any, I, I don't think it's going to cut. So she you know, does I'm say stop yes. myself. I, I, so I she can't, does say yes to Benjamin. I can't go any you further. You already said it. You already I can't said she go said any yes. further. I'll shut up. <laughs> I'll shut up. Oh, bless your heart. Well, to keep Eric from bless going Bless your off, heart. <laughs> <laughs> to keep Eric from going off on any more spoilers, we're going to touch up on the Wisemans real quick because I was very, very worried for them at the beginning of the season. Oh, uh, okay. Because Rose up and took off to France, to Paris. She just got the fuck out. <laughs> she got the fuck out. There was, she felt that there was nothing left there for her. No Unappre- one's felt unappreciated by her yep. husband and by her family. Yep. Felt yep. lied to. Like she has. And like she has nothing to give right. for Midge. And so right. so Abe drags Midge along to Paris because mm-hmm. he thought Midge could speak French. <laughs> <laughs> she does not speak French. Oh, that's right. And it was hilarious. And so 
so again, I was I was a little worried because you know they show up and he's very much like, no, we're going home. You're you're coming home right now. This and that, but they stay, and Abe has. He's enjoying this, quote, vacation. He's still seeing it as a vacation. Mm-hmm. He and Rose are getting along wonderfully. Mm-hmm. and But then it gets to the point where she's looking at an, an apartment for them yep. in Paris. And it's a gorgeous apartment. I was like, that's definitely a step up from the little one room. From what they have, from what the, yeah, from what they have right now with Simone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and then I was a little worried because then... You know, Abe's like, no, no, this is, I thought this was more of a, of a vacation and that you would come home. And so she does eventually go back home with him, but she doesn't mm-hmm. look very happy about it. And right. then in that kind of closing scene, that kind of montage of now they're back, life has resumed. I was a little worried that maybe Joel, or not Joel, that maybe Abe hadn't didn't take anything away from all of that. But then he pops in and he's like, oh, you have an appointment here and I'll meet you for this. So you can basically have a a job, basically get her a job as an art auditor for the university. And she's so happy and she's so thrilled. And I was, and then, oh yeah. And dance classes, like Abe has lined up all these activities Mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. And I loved that. I was so happy that those two didn't have any major conflicts that they were able to kind of come back together and find happiness. You know, and they, they, they needed this. They needed that trip. They needed this to happen. Mm-hmm. Rose had to go to Paris. He had to go after her. Mm-hmm. He had to then stay with her in order for them to get to where they are now. And you're right. I mean, she was absolutely devastated that she was in a position where now she felt like she had no choice but to go back to New York. I was sad that she didn't She didn't take her dog with her, though. Yeah, I felt like Simone could have come with. What the yeah. fuck? But whatever. Um I don't. I'm, I don't have the greatest worldly experience in the world, but I will say I have been to Paris, and it is. I was, and I was. I was only there for a few hours. I was. I didn't spend like days or weeks there. I was just literally there for a few hours, and just in the little time there, I like kind of had that. Oh my God, I'm in Paris feeling. Mm-hmm. Like looking around and just seeing all these this magnificent fucking architecture, these old structures, you know, these world famous, you know, uh, uh, landmine uh, landmines <laughs> landmarks. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't mean that. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> but I got, but I got to see the Arc de Triomphe. I got to see the the outside of the Louvre. There was no time mm-hmm. I had any time to go into the Louvre. But we walked around the outside into the courtyards with the pyramids, you know, and just seeing all these structures and these beautiful old buildings, you know. And we got to eat at a cafe and got to shop. You you remember those little shops that they showed uh, where they where they were looking at books and the green looking cabinet things? Yeah. That that that's real. That is it. They have the like the streets are lined with those vendors in Paris. And it was beautiful. And I was like, I don't want to fucking leave here either. This place <laughs> is amazing. I can see why Abe from Abe's perspective why he was really kind of getting tr- pulled in by the city she had experiences here she had lived there she spoke the language she was kind of used to it she loves it but she was more used to it than abe was Mm -hmm. abe i felt like was kind of falling under the spell spell that france puts on you as you know an outsider Mm -hmm. you know and it makes you want to stay and i think he probably would have borderlined had just stayed even longer had she not shown him the apartment 
And I think the apartment was the wake-up call for Abe because he was making friends there. He had Sergi and two other guys. His little circle, his circle. He was making friends and contacts, you know. She was starting to do things, you know, for herself, going to museums and going, you know, and, you know, kind of like studying and going on tours and stuff like that around the city. You know, and I think had she not brought up, showed him the apartment, I feel like Abe probably would not have thought about leaving. He wouldn't have, his tenure would not have popped in his head, you know, or anything like that. I think he would have stayed because he was falling for France the way that a lot of people do. See, I don't know. I think, I think he definitely fell, you know, like you said, that kind of magic spell that Paris, that France, kind of, has, of on ha- has on people and right and but i think he always had the intentions of go going back to new york uh-huh. with rose but that he really kind of he really enjoyed the vacation and he made the most of the vacation but that's all he ever saw it as mm. was a vacation sure he, they, they they definitely have the means to take extended vacations you know He's he's got the tenure. They've got the money. I mean, they go to the Catskills for like two months out of the year. Yeah. So it's the yeah, Weissmans aren't broke. They can no. do these things. Yeah. So I think he just looked. At, I think he always saw it as an extended vacation, and yeah. I think he also thought slash hoped that him being all in in this moment and doing all these things with his wife and enjoying the little shack and the little twin bed that they, there's no way that was comfortable or romantic. (laughs) And they were sharing it with a dog too. Keep that in mind. I'm like, that dog is going to get fucking kicked across the room at one point in the night. Yeah. But I I think he was all in, in the moment for Rose and for them. But always more always for the sake the, of their marriage, sure. Yep. I see, and I, I, like it wasn't patronizing or anything like that. Like he did enjoy his time in Paris, and he course. did enjoy his little his little group of of old guys that he liked to argue with. He's like, I don't know what they're saying. He's like, but it was fun. Yeah, the way we see Abe's character by the end of the season, I think had he not had that taste of France and had that that vacation. Mm-hmm. I don't think we would have seen that kind of turnaround that we saw in Abe. Oh yeah, well you're probably you're probably right. The I mean, I know that you're calling it a vacation, and in the end, that is what it turned out to be. And you know, in my opinion, I think Abe was really struck by the city, and I still think that he would have stayed had Rose not shown him the apartment because I think Abe maybe was starting to come around to the more minimalistic lifestyle. You know, you have such this great city around you, so much culture, so much atmosphere that you don't need to have the big ass apartment to be able to be comfortable and enjoy where you are. Because I feel like the apartment in New York is more of a status symbol than anything. And I was I, I, I got the feeling that Abe didn't feel like he had to he needed that status symbol. He didn't need right. to feel like an elitist or anything like that in this one little one bedroom apartment that they had with a twin bed. They could have probably upgraded the apartment a little bit, but get a get a queen or something. But other than that, <laughs> what else did they really need, you know? So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think once she showed him the apartment, that's when shit got real for Abe. And he realized that staying here is not an option. And that's when he hit it. He's like, I have tenure. I have to be in class in two weeks. You know, we, we got to get the fuck back or else I'm going to, I'm going to. 
Well, I mean, if he has tenure, would he have lost his job if he didn't show up? I don't know. Well, I guess, yeah, you'll still lose your job if you don't do your job. But the point is, is that I think that when he decided it was time to go, it was because shit was getting too real out there. And he couldn't let it get, go any further than it did. Mm-hmm. But like you said, when he got back, when they got back, there was that worry that Rose was just going to fall right back into a depressive state, mm-hmm. you know, but he didn't want that to happen. He did have a great time with her and he learned lessons yes. about not just about their marriage, but also about himself as a husband. Mm-hmm. He learned how to be a better husband by that experience they had in France. So he gets her the auditing the auditing job at uh, uh, at Columbia. He sets up the dance lessons because they had that such cute moment where they were dancing on the streets together. Mm-hmm. And he makes that little comment. He was like, "He was like, we were adorable, but our rhythm was just off." Yeah, you they, know? they could definitely do a lot better. And oh, yeah. I thought that was so sweet. And it's it's a sign of not just you know him trying to do good things for Rose, you know, but do good by Rose, but it's signs of even for Abe. Abe is in his 60s, but he's still growing up and he's still mm-hmm. learning. He's learning how to be a better person for himself and for his wife. And we see a lot of that through the rest of this season. You know, I mean, granted, shit does get a little off off the hinges towards the latter end of the season, but overall, I feel like Abe and Rose both came on top with out on top with each other as a couple. Absolutely. And I liked I really liked seeing uh, Abe's again progression kind of throughout this season because you don't really expect a whole hell of a lot from kind of secondary characters, even though they are they do play a pretty big role in a in a series or for the main character. Yeah. So I kind of just thought like, you know, the the doing better by by Rose standards was going to be it. And then plus the um, the comedy thing, finding out about Midge's comedy. And that was, yeah. again, where I, I got worried that he wasn't, you know, because he decided he was like, no, we're not going to tell your mother about this yet. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's a, we know how this will play out. So that made me concerned. But then when Midge was like, oh, I'll basically just come out to the family, he he wasn't a completely against it. I think he had concerns about maybe timing, but that, you know, a, a year later from when the series starts with Yom, you know, they're back with at Yom, during Yom Kippur. Yeah. And now is the time to kind of come clean. So he didn't seem during that whole super awkward dinner scene where Midge comes out as a comedian, he didn't seem like, he was like, no, don't do it or anything mm-hmm. like that. But he mm-hmm. was preparing himself kind of for that that aftermath of it. Plus, he's dealing with shit involving his son and oh, his Oh, yeah, job. the whole thing like, with Noah being part of the CIA. Yeah. yeah oh, my and, God. And finding this out and that it's not just his daughter keeping secrets, but also his son and kind of yeah. almost where did, where did things go sideways in that they – you know, his kids can't be honest with him or that there's always these secrets going on. So after a while, it became it almost seemed like he had bigger issues with Noah than he did with Midge. Like he's gotten right. to the point where he can more or less accept that this is what Midge is doing. He may not still completely be on board and be as supportive as, as Joel, mm-hmm. but he's not going to to try and fight it right. anymore. 
Right, right. And so with everything that happens between Midge and Noah, Midge's bit in DC and how that came back to oh, yeah, affect, yeah, 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 right. affect Abe and his job at Bell Labs and the way that all played out, all of a sudden Abe realizes he he marched against these types. He marched, he protested these mm-hmm. these types of people and companies and that, that kind mm-hmm. of work. Yeah. And he had this realization in that locked room with those people. And pause for a second, because both those scenes of them bringing in this attorney, this specialist, and the door Oh, buzzing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That was hysterical. <laughs> but in that Abe, second, this is such and such from such and such. Yep. <laughs> it's but like, oh, that, But that second time that he's like, oh, I just wanted to talk to, you know, this one, the one dude. He's like, oh, I've talked, talked to Midge. Yeah. And now the room is filled again with all these dudes. Yep, yep. And as soon as he's like, oh, I talked to Midge, they all sat down. And throughout this, uh, Abe has this realization of like, what the fuck happened to my life and what I stood for. And yep. now all of a sudden he's kind of starting to do a bit of a, a 180, just re- just introspective of his life. Yeah. I think his time in True. France did that. And I think maybe having lived simply in France in that one room, twin bed with Rose, knowing that now he's going to lose his apartment, their apartment, because that's paid for by the university. He's walking away from his tenure. So he's walking away from that status Mm -hmm. and that stature. He knows now in the back of his head that he and Rose can still be happy in something smaller, more, more simple, more. um, Right. Uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is less flashy, humble, more humble, sure. Um, living conditions and in, in home, whatnot. And so I'm really kind of excited to see where things go with Abe because I love this turnaround for him. I yeah. love him in season one. I loved him all throughout this season. I love how he just sometimes kind of appears in a scene and just just <laughs> kind of scary, but right. super lovable. But I am, I'm really, really excited. I'm really happy that this happened to Abe. Yeah, and right. Very excited to see where this goes. You know, I think it's uh, interesting that you said, you know, after Abe's experience of living in the one bedroom department, that he basically learned that he can, he can be happy, you know, living a very minimalistic lifestyle. But keep him. Let's also just look at what we were talking about before with Rose. And how she presented this luxurious apartment to him. So even though Rose went to France and moved into this one-bedroom place and Abe lived there for a while, the question now proposes is that could Rose live that lifestyle? Could Rose live the minimalist lifestyle like Abe probably could? And I don't think she could. Because if she could, I don't think she would have ever presented that apartment to Abe. I just don't think so. Because I think she knows, you know... In a way, Rose is the Emily of this show. And Emily. she is a not as out there with her being an elitist, but she is an elitist. Oh, absolutely. Okay? She absolutely is. But the funny thing is, is she, like you said, they don't own their own apartment. Their lifestyle that they live is being paid for by other people and by other and, and by the and by Columbia, you know. Without that, what do they have, you know? So there's just some things that we got to take into consideration here for these two characters that 
they've grown so used to a lifestyle that technically they can't afford to live. Mm-hmm. Especially her. And Abe realizes this, that they can. he's okay to live in a much more condensed life in a smaller place because it makes him happy. Mm-hmm. But And you know. I think with Rose... Also, it's like, yeah, she went to France and she went, she had that small apartment and it was just for her. And it was kind of more or less getting back to like her roots and her younger self and and all of that. But she also had the safety net of her husband's tenure and of of his job. Now that that safety net is no longer there. Yeah, I can absolutely see Rose having, taking issues with living simpler um, smaller, yeah. more condensed, you know, little home in it, <laughs> tiny home style. And um, again, this is all going to come back around in season three. And you're going to see basically how him lo- giving up his tenure is a- going to affect them. And it's, oh, sure. It's, uh, I'm not going to say it's heartbreaking because it's not really heartbreaking because, mm-hmm. you know, this is the Paladinos. They're going to make this, they're going to make this funny. But. Mm, <laughs> You got to really stop talking about season of coming season. I can't help it. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'll stop. I'll stop. You know, and it's, I appreciate you kind of loosely bringing them up to, to get me pumped and excited to keep watching it. And, but I, I, I'm already pretty excited to continue watching the rest of the series and to get caught up, hopefully to the point of season four, because I know you sent me one still from season four that has John Waters. And you know, I fucking love John Waters. I know you do. I did a whole episode on John Waters with another podcast called It's a Phantom Thing. Fandom Thing is very, very good. Nice. (laughs) I'm trying to get better about self-promotion. You know, I hate it. You know, I don't like doing it. I'm trying to be better about it. Yeah, but you've gotten recognition. You have. Uh, have I? I mean, the Doom Patrol, you know, the, you know oh, that yeah. was pretty awesome. Yeah, um, yeah. And even on Maisel, on Maisel Season 1. Yep. Yeah. So a, you're a doing good, bit. girl. I'm, I'm doing you're doing a little, great. A little better, a little better. So, <laughs> I, uh, But yeah, so I am already excited to see, to watch Season 3. It was actually really hard not to just kind of keep going because I was like, well, I could just get a quick watch done and then I'm... St- I've got that base layer for when I do a rewatch for when we are ready to record season mm-hmm. three. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I wouldn't have been mad if you did. I know. I know. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I I was like, no, I think I'll hold off and kind of save some of that, save that momentum and everything. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I love the Weissmans. I'm very excited and interested and now a little nervous to see where things are going to go with them for season three, but you are right. It is the Paladinos. So Mm-hmm. It's still, for the most part, a safe space. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. A safe space with a, just a with just a smidge of racism. <laughs> I was thinking it, and you said it. And <laughs> there you I go. love it. So, as we begin to wrap up this conversation, is there are there any other specific scenes or episodes or just any other stray bubbles you got floating around? Uh, well, first we off, I, fa- I figured out Noah's wife's name. It's Astrid. Um, so Aww. we were talking. Yeah, I know we were talking about her that earlier, and how she was just going crazy from all the fasting. Um, so I give her a lot of credit for that. Dude, but... she's so she's so, she's more Jewish than they are. Oh my God, she is. She is so. I into love it. her dedication. I do her... too. She um, was a convert. She she converted, right? Yes, she did. Okay. Yes, oh, and so actually. They... Yeah, I so do really let, like her. 
So they oh. let Noah marry a gentle and Gentile and I suppose, but they, yeah. But they, they don't really go into the backstory of how they met or anything like that, not though. Really interesting. No, they don't. Anyway. But maybe they will. Maybe they will. I don't know if they do, if they will or not. But um, <laughs> I don't even know. If... <laughs> what? Now I feel like you're just like quote playing dumb. I don't know what happens with them. You're so funny. <laughs> I love um, it. <laughs> I think that though. I I love though that Astrid did get more screen time then, and we got to yeah. know Astrid and Noah a little more this season. And I thought that was great because last season we we got to meet them, but we didn't really get to know anything about them. And now we get to know that Noah has been keeping secrets. He Bell Labs is well aware of who he is and mm-hmm. that he's doing projects for the CIA. So I thought that was really cool that we got to get to know more about the extended Weissmans, as I would probably call them. That works. You know, and then also, I do love the character of Benjamin. Um, And although, you know what, and we didn't talk about it much, I think that Midge getting this opportunity with Shy Baldwin, you know, and how this is going to perpetuate her career, you know, it's it's something that um, I think is going to be very entertaining to talk about and to witness going forward. Mm Mm-hmm. And just some of the new characters they brought in, you know, you know, Tessie, Frank, Nikki, um, just these new characters are very, very, you, you learn to, you, lo- you fall in love with them so quickly, especially Frank and Nikki, because how could you not love these big two goons? They're just mm-hmm. amazing. And uh, I don't know, man. I mean, this is just, it, it's another great season. Um, I can't wait for you to watch season three so we can have that discussion. I can't wait to watch season three again. Um, season four premieres on uh, February 18th. I don't know if I'm going to start watching season four right away, though, because I'm back and forth whether if I want to, because I know we have our season three recording that we're going to set. And I don't know if I want to start watching season four, then go back and watch season three and then go back and watch season four again. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I I mean, I'll probably end up doing that, but <laughs> because I, I was telling myself, you know what, I'm going to wait eight weeks because there's only eight episodes in season four. I was like, I can wait two months and just binge it all. Mm-hmm. No, I can't. No, I can't. <laughs> I'm the type of guy who loved waiting one week to get to a new episode of a TV show. I feel like we've become very spoiled these days with Netflix and Hulu and everything and the binging, and we've taken away the we've taken away the fun of waiting an extra week just to see what happens next with our characters. Mm-hmm. You know, getting that uh, previously on. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I think that's a I think that's a di- that that's dying. Or it basically well, it's has starting, died. It, it's coming back a little bit. Because now with streaming services coming out with their own original content, not all of them are dropping the entire season at once. I right. think Netflix and, still is, but like Amazon, Hulu, and HBO, at best they'll give you maybe the first two, first three episodes, yeah. and then it's weekly from there. Okay. Which, yep, which, that's true. Yeah. I, I didn't think about that. Which is a nice that. compromise. It is. It is. <laughs> uh, like Because Mrs. Maisel is dropping one episode a week for the next two months. And I'm okay with that, mm-hmm. you know, but then, you know, I love that, that, uh, uh, that cliffhanger moment, you know, what's going to happen next week. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to see how they pull that off with the, with season four of Maisel. So. Well, and also with the kind of waiting more week to week for episodes, it allows the fans to really like sit with that episode, like that previous episode digest it you know maybe do a couple rewatches if they're really super into it come up with theories talk with their friends have things come up that they hadn't thought yeah. of. and it really yeah. i think helps generate and keep the fandoms going in that sense whereas yeah you get a whole season you can 
binge it all in one day. You've got all the answers. You're like, oh my God, that was amazing or whatever. And then you can do all of that. But with regards to the next season, which the downside to season drops is that we have to wait like two fucking years for the next season. Yeah. That I'm not okay with. Yeah, I know. But uh, it's just COVID, you know, and, and that's obviously aside from all the delays from, from COVID related shit. So, yeah, exactly. But, you know, that was it is a problem it, before COVID. Yeah, that's, we were kids when that was going on too. So, I do have uh, one more stray bubble I'd like to bring up, but I want to ask a question for you first sure. because that's going to segue into what my stray bubble is. Is that is, do you specifically have a favorite episode from this season? Is there one episode Ooh. that kind of sticks out to you? Oh, for any reason? I don't know that there's really a specific episode because then again, because I binged it, they all blur together. And that's sure. also kind of, I think, another problem, quote problem that happens when uh, entire seasons are dropped or binged in kind of more or less one sitting. Um, I mean, I did love the Catskills episodes. Yeah. Because I love that it did kind of take us away from the comedy stuff for a little bit. It's still there, obviously, because Susie's there and trying to get the gigs and whatnot. But we got to see more of just the family and the individuals, if that makes sense. Yeah. And just their interactions with each other. And that, you know, the Weissmans do love each other. And they're maybe more or less frenemies or uh, um, oh, what's the other word I'm looking for? But like with the, with the Maisels. Yeah. Just that kind of back and forth of these people are always going to be in our lives and we're mm -hmm. always going to have to put up with them. Yep. Um, also, kind of we see within the Catskills episodes is we see Joel getting kind of cozy up to uh, a young lady while yeah. Midge is also kind of starting to fancy and flirt with Benjamin. So we're yeah. starting to see that these two individuals are capable of finding finding love happiness within somebody else obviously there's still complications that go along with that as we see by the end of the season but that they are capable of it and that they may be more ready than they realize mm -hmm. but also not at the same time because yeah. of how the season ended sure but that they have it within them kind of like abe has it within him to live more simply and rose yeah. too but we we see these like little seeds, these little sprouts of growth. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think and the I... Caskill Caskills Catskills episodes are were some of my favorite ones, um, and not just for the 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 way it propels her comedy forward mm -hmm. and into kind of even just the the spotlight of the family. Fair enough. I, oh. I like that. And the super awkward family dinner where she tries to come out as a comedian, everything goes wrong, and everyone keeps getting up to grab pickles, and it's just ah. worse. I will hand it to the Paladinos. I love, I loved it. I love a good awkward family dinner interaction. So I think that's really funny that you say that, and I'm glad you did because my segue was to episode seven of the season of Look, She Made a Hat. And that is the episode. Aside from the, the Catskills episodes, which I have to completely agree with everything that you said on, those are definitely the standout episodes of this season. But Look, She Made a Hat was a very powerful episode and a very standout episode because of her finally coming out to her family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just 
look at that scene and look at how much she was trying to beat around the bush just to tell them. You know, she was she just kept talking and talking and talking, and even Moish and uh, and everyone at the table was just like, "Oh God, this is going to take forever." And she keeps telling Zelda to go back with the food, and people are getting cranky. Oh, poor you know? Zelda! Zelda was so <laughs> mad. <laughs> Oh my God, she was so angry. She was like, I've been in here cooking food all fucking day. You know, I don't think she said fucking, but still. Um, and then she finally just blurts it out. Um, but Look She Made Ahead is actually a very, very good episode just for the fact that this was Midge's coming out episode, really. Um, also, we got to meet an interesting character who I we only got to see once in this episode, and that was Declan Howell. Um, who oh, yeah, yeah. was who was the artist that Benjamin loved, and you know, although that was kind of more of a, I mean, I don't know if that was kind of like the side story of that episode because they really spent a lot of time, you know, with this one with this one guy who uh, Benjamin wanted to buy an art piece from. But I've always been curious about what is this painting look like that he shows Midge that is supposed to be like just the most beautiful painting in the world, and Midge tells him it's a shame you won't choose to share this with the world. Mm-hmm. But it was it's one that he did for him. So it makes you wonder what tragic thing happened where this is no longer. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I I, kind of got the sense that this was his. You know, this was for him, possibly a family to put up in their happy home. And whatever the circumstances were, he no longer has that family and that happy home to hang this right. in. So it sits right. in that back studio area. Right. But I and I did love the character of Declan Howell too. You know, he was the way, he was the artist who refused to sell you anything. And if he did, he would track you down and take his fucking painting back, you know? Mm-hmm. Um I did like that. And I thought he was for this one episode, he was a very good inclusion to this show because I think it just kind of helped I'd not progress these characters per se, but I think Midge needed this interaction with this particular person mm-hmm. to get a better idea of who Benjamin is. Mm-hmm. But then also to it helped her get an idea of for her what's considered beautiful. And even though we as the viewers don't get to see this painting, you know, we kind of see it and get an idea of it through Midge's eyes and just mm-hmm. by her reactions to this and what she's telling him. And I don't feel I feel like we didn't really get anything like that for the rest of the season. So I really did enjoy that moment. Um, and also, this was also the episode where we hit we hit officially the one year mark of Joel and Midge's breakup. And Joel is going on a drunken frenzy at work about this, and he's mm-hmm. you know he's surrounded by you know girls, and he's got Archie there, and for some reason Mrs. Moskowitz is there, <laughs> but. You know, and all these girls are trying to set up dates with him, but all he can talk about is one year ago today, I fucked my whole life up. Mm-hmm. So he has one line. I, 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 I think it's in that moment, but at at one point, he's like, "Will I ever be forgiven?" Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think that was. It's when he's laying down when Archie is kind of tucking him into bed. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right, and you know, it's that self pity that. You know, uh, I think a lot of us could probably even relate with, you know, and it's like he's it's like he's acknowledged that he fucked up. He knows he fucked up. He's trying to make it right. He wants to make it right. He doesn't necessarily know how to do that. I think he's going about it the best way he can right now Um, because I won't tolerate slander on Joel. And so he's just doing the best he can. And yes, I think he can be forgiven. 
purely based on his unwavering support of Midge and her comedy. And the way, again, that first scene with him in this season, and he acknowledges that and he removes himself from that equation, speaks volumes to the character. A lot more people in fictional shows and in real life kind of need to make that sacrifice and take that step back in order to let the people they care about flourish and go off and live their dreams and do it without guilt or building resentment. So Joel, like that. that was the moment for me when he asked that question later in the season. I was like, "Yes, you can be forgiven. I've already forgiven you." <laughs> and you know, speaking of Joel, really me. quick, God, I don't, I don't, I don't want to have too many stray bubbles here, but it just you, you know, everything you just said about Joel just kind of reminded me of something else that happened this season is when we actually got to relive how Joel proposed to Miriam and that entire scene at the at the diner and then. St- him going out into the street refusing to move for traffic unless she said yes, which I, in a way, I thought was like, come on, man, that's a lot of pressure that you're putting on there. But I get it. I get, I get where this is going. And then the dance they have, it's just, and Miriam is a blonde. Yeah, that was, was kind of odd. I was like, Whoa. you know, <laughs> you know, this was a real, I mean, as much as this is Miriam's show, this was really a standout season for him. I and agree. as a character, Joel has progressed so much since season one. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was, I'm very happy for the guy. So me too. All I want is nice things for Joel. Me too. The guy deserves it. Less shirts, more white tank tops and slacks. There you go. <laughs> um, and also his, the scene, not just like him and Archie hitting the baseballs. I like, regardless of what the content of their conversation was, the timing of them hitting hitting their baseballs at, at the exact same time a couple of times, I thought yep. was great. I was kind of interested to see maybe some of the outtakes for that. Because for the <laughs> most part, yeah. that scene up until a point, that whole scene looked like a single shot scene. It did, didn't it? It really so did. It really fucking did. And I I didn't I should have gone back and rewatched it to see if I could see any cuts. But it all looked like a single shot scene. I, I didn't do a proper research Google on it, but it was still just kind of fun and interesting. Maybe I just like the sound of the baseball and the bat and the crack and just the way they're, I don't know. I, because I, I don't you, know. I you liked felt it. It with fun. every, with every crack of the bay uh, or every time they hit the baseball, it just felt like with every crack, they got a little more aggression out. Yeah. And this was just the moment that, but also it was kind of a shady scene for Archie because Joel's taken that moment to get out the anger about, you know, about Benjamin. Archie's getting out his anger about about ha- about uh, about having to have a third child, mm-hmm. you know, and how he didn't see his life going this way. So really, we're looking at two men with two different emotional Problems. issues that yeah. are going on. One of them is more along the lines of, yeah, I can understand. You're there's a new person in your kid's life. So you're 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 and you you weren't told about this. I get that. But then the other one is you made your own bed, dude. Fucking sleep in it. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. So, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I never thought I didn't think about that until just right now. Yeah. No. And I do like Archie and and Imogene. I do like them. Yeah. So I'm I do I did feel bad for Imogene because uh Midge dropped the ball on the baby oh, shower. On the party. And, yeah. Oh, I felt so bad for her too. But I do lo- I loved that Rose was like, you know what? This was your party. You clean up the mess. Mm-hmm. And I liked that. I did too. And then Midge starts picking up right away. I, my ass would have been like, you know what? It's been two days. It's gonna it can wait another night. I'm going to bed. Fair enough. Um 
So my stray bubbles, I do have a few of them. Uh-huh. And these are kind of more of the, uh, some of them, well, these first couple, I'll just get them out. So there's a line about someone tells Midge that they've got a psychiatrist they could see, that she could see, because she's doing wonders for Sylvia Plath. Yeah. Oh, my God. So She's a poet, isn't yep, she? Who committed yeah. suicide in 1963. So two to three short years later after like that scene, Sylvia Plath kills herself. Yeah. The There's a line about, Joel says to one of his workers that's smoking in the stairwell, about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. Uh, that happened in 1911. 140 workers died, and that was a big push for basically safer work conditions. Oh, I didn't I never even did research on that. I thought that was just a line that they threw in. So that really happened, huh? Yep, that wow, actually happened. So again, okay. we have like the Paladino sprinkling in like pop culture, actual events, yeah. history like they did with Gilmore Girls. Obviously, these are all going to be in the past. Right. They had Jackie Vernon who is the voice of Frosty the Snowman in the animation uh the old animated Frosty the Snowman. Ooh. Um oh, we did get to see a wiener. Because Rose is taking that art class. Oh, that yeah, art yeah, 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 yeah. And she nearly just faints. And oh, she's my like, God. oh, my God. The, the pearl clutching. Like, oh, literally the pearl clutching. That was so funny. And then we didn't really get to this, but just going to drop it here real quick. When Rose then, kind of shortly after that scene, she tries to convince, it seemed like she was trying to convince the other women in her art class that don't pursue anything you want to do. Find a man. Go into the business class and find a man. But then the way mm. that kind of played out then with Abe and her in the dean or whatever's office, she's like, well, I, I strictly, I simply pointed out that we have no female teachers. You know, she doesn't know any female artists and basically is asking, what's the point? And he's like, well, we need these, we need the numbers, we need the attendance to continue funding. And she's like, so you're just taking everything from these women, but you're not providing them with any kind of opportunities. Yeah. So that kind of whole super, super subplot I thought was interesting, but it didn't seem to go anywhere within this season. So I'm kind of hoping right. it comes back, don't say anything or make a face. <laughs> Turns around. I love it. <laughs> but I, I I was a little worried at first because I was like, is Rose really trying to convince these women after she runs off to Paris to try and find happiness, something for herself? Now she's going to try and convince these women to quit art school and go to business school and just look for a man. But I think I don't think those were her exact intentions. I remember that scene a little differently. Um, I know exactly what scene you're talking about. The way that I, what I took away from that was that she was surprised that these women who have their, have or are going for their master's degrees aren't doing anything with them. I thought actually, I didn't get the impression that she was trying to say, you need to find a man. I was under the impression that she was shocked that they were being held back because you know, despite the knowledge that they have and, and, and the education that they have. Which I think that part came through when they're in the office with yeah. the head, head guy or whatever. But in that moment, kind of in that commons area, it seemed more like, again, like, well, why are we wasting? Why are you wasting? You're young. You're, you're pretty. Why are you wasting this time and effort into something that isn't going to go anywhere? I think mm. that's the bigger question of, again, during this time, you have women that are taking these classes they're trying to better themselves but again in a male-dominated world it doesn't go anywhere 
so I was kind of disappointed to hmm. that okay. that that didn't go anywhere further in this within right. this season. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. But it, but like I said, it made me nervous at first, where I thought Rose was really trying to convince these young ladies to do that. She eventually she kind of did because a bunch of the girls did quit the art school and try to go into the business class, and that's what got her called down to the principal's office. Right. So. I'm kind of hoping maybe to see something come from that in future seasons. Okay. Another side note I have is in episode six, her brother's nickname for Midge was Midget. <laughs> I feel like the writing, they could have done a better job in that. Oh, you didn't that. like that? I thought it was cute. I no. liked it. I liked I, no. it. I, I, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't care for it. I think I understand where the nickname comes from. I get it. I'm, not dense, I understand, <laughs> but it's you're you're writing this in you know in the in 2017 or 16 or whenever this season came out, and I just felt like you. But maybe they're just seeing word. it from the perspective of back from the 1950s when they were kids, you know? Right? What a, no, but what, again, it's I I get it, I get yeah. it, but it's a poor word choice for a show that even though it takes place in the late 50s, it's airing in 2000 and and. 20, you know, late teens or whatever. Right. They could have picked just a, a, something else just as cute. I, I get right. it. It's, Fair enough. you know. Fair enough. All right. I, 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 I see where you're going with that. So I, 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 I agree. I just that, you know, again, it goes back to the whole cat skills last, last performance and like, and thing. How, and how authentic do we want to keep shows that take place in the past? Yeah, when right. being written in the present. So, I, and I again, it. it's not a, it's not a super serious. You know, it's not Twelve Years a Slave or anything heavy right. like that. So, right, absolutely. Again, I felt like something else could have been picked, but that's just me. Okay. The little glimpse of Yoko Ono, and she's like, "Nice ladder," <laughs> cracked me up. <laughs> oh, at the art gallery. Okay. Uh, yep. <laughs> Yep. yep. That was also episode seven. So that was wait. What? That, that, that wasn't was really cool. Yoko Ono, yeah, was it? That was supposed to be Yoko Ono. Was it really? Yep. Oh my god, I did not catch on to that at all. <laughs> oh, that is hilarious. Yeah. And so again, just some of these sprinklings of actual events and people throughout does still yeah. make it a really fun watch. Absolutely. You know, we 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 become critical of the things that we do enjoy because we enjoy them. Right. And. Not because we <laughs> hate them or anything. And the funny thing is, is like even with the few things that we personally have some issues with, overall, it doesn't overshadow how great this show really is and what the Palandinos have done right. and the characters they have created. There's just some things that you're right. In this day and age, do we really need to go there? Yeah. Um, and, you know, little quirks like that can be easily fixed. Again, I don't think Amy or Daniel Palandino are in any way racist or anything like that. I think they are truly writing from the perspective of the times. But, you know, at what point do we really say, do we have to do that? Right. <laughs> You know, and I'm not saying that Amy or Dan are intentionally trying to be like intentionally like hurtful or or, you know, anything like that. But just yeah. the fact that there doesn't seem to be any other thought or care or consideration in some of these decisions. Yeah. Right. So they're not being inherently racist, but they're not being overly like anti-racist or anti like let's not include that. Right. 
Right. And you know what? Like I said, people can argue until their face turns blue about keeping the authenticity of the time period when creating something in today's time. But when we're looking at something that's more of a comedy, a comedy drama, is there a line? Should there be a line? And kind of like that that conversation because again we're not doing something that is supposed to be tugging at you know your moral heartstrings and everything or yeah right so again you're a writer write better lines (laughs) better scenes for these smaller more problematic moments again Mm -hmm. not to overshadow or take away from the overall joy that this season and this show is right but again there's always room for improvement. Absolutely. Abe, Abe has room for improvement. Rose has room for improvement. The Paladino should have room for improvement. You and I, we're perfect. So there's, that's Absolutely. Fine. We're, we're good there. Absolutely. <laughs> we're, we're, we're as perfect as they come. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, well, holy moly. We did it. We got through it. I'm sure there's plenty more we could say. There's plenty more characters we could have touched on in moments, but mm-hmm. I still have to edit this. So <laughs> You still have to edit this. That's right. But before we pop off, what's been streaming in your bubble? Well, uh, well, I just finished watching Gilmore Girls. All of it. <laughs> Every single episode, including the spinoff. I can't even... The revival. It's not a spinoff. Revival. Uh, so, and I've done that in a very, very fast pace, a very quick amount of time. Uh, less, less than two and a half months, I finished every mm-hmm. se- that entire series. So, um, since... <laughs> We finished that. Uh, my wife and I just turned on um, the newest season of uh, Queer Eye, so we're probably gonna we're probably gonna get through that in like four days because that's how long it takes for us to get through something as quick as Queer Eye. Um, but as far as like anything else, um, a lot of Patrick Swayze movies lately for something that may or may not something that may be coming up soon, uh, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, but as far as shows go. I haven't started any new shows. However, when I am done with the uh, with uh, with my Swayze crazy, then what I want to do is I want to start watching Euphoria because that's been on my list for a long, long time now, and I have not watched a single episode of it yet. So I think it's at a point in the season in the series where I think I'm okay starting it now. Because I think they've got their second or their current season is airing right now. Yeah, isn't it like season three? Is this? Season? I, think I don't it's remember season. if it's two or three, but it's still it's still kind of um, it's a, it's still a newer series. Okay, well, I do want to start watching that because that has been in my uh, list for a while. Yeah, that's really about it. I don't. Yeah, I, I don't really have any recommendations on anything new. What about you? You're always oh, streaming let's something. See, well, it's a lot of pod prep stuff. So, um, yeah. well, that's the bubble. That's the bubble. It's the bubble life. Let's see. So, yeah, been getting sways crazy. And aside from that, uh, we just finished the book of Boba Fett, which was fun. Oh, I, awesome. I have to, I have to start that. Still. Yeah, you do. That I still have to watch. That was that was a really, that was really fucking good, and it was like a nice big dose of like uh, kind of serotonin for me. There's been a lot of mixed reviews about that show that I've Here's been. Here's what I'm gonna fucking say right now about say these it. mixed reviews on Boba Fett and anything Star Wars related. Uh. Star Wars fans are the fucking worst. I said oh, yeah. it. Y'all suck. Nerds are, are the too worst. Many, there are too many gatekeepers, gatekeepers of the fucking franchise of the original trilogy. Like it's fine to not like everything. 
That's fine. But don't shit on it. Don't ruin it for other people. It's fine to be critical of it. But when it gets to the point where you're just shitting on things for the sake of shitting on them so vocally online and everything to the point where you haven't watched the series yet and you're like, I don't know, I've heard some stuff. Fuck the haters. There's always going to be whiny crybaby boys, boys, because they, oh, my childhood. Oh, this isn't right. This isn't me. This isn't canon. Whatever. Shut the fuck up and enjoy it. It was a great series. It It was a lot of fun. You don't have to like everything. But you know what? Don't be an asshole about it either. And you know what? This isn't fucking Disney's first rodeo, you guys. You know? And it's like, I... I always have a hard time saying like, I'm a Star Wars fan or I belong to this fandom or this fandom because of how toxic shit can get. And I don't want to be associated you know, with that funny. kind of I've, fucking attitude. I've actually have never cons- called myself or considered myself a Star Wars fan. I like Star Wars. I will watch Star Wars. I will watch Book of Boba Fett. I'll watch The Mandalorian. I'll watch these shows. But I am never considered myself part of the fandom because you're right. It is a toxic fandom. It's one of the worst. I think it is quite possibly the worst fandom. So, isn't that toxic levels? What a shame, man. What a shame. Nerds are so critical. They are so fucking. God, we're the worst. (laughs) We are. We're so bad. But it's like, (sighs) you know, and aside from just the toxicity of some fandoms or just that ugly side of, of fandoms, I always feel a little odd saying, like, you know I love Doctor Who and I'm a fan of yeah. the show, but I still yeah. hesitate to call myself a Whovian because because of the level of knowledge and dedication that other fans have. I don't feel I feel uh, like I it doesn't I don't come close to that. I, I don't compare myself that. to them. I'm a fan of Doctor Who. Like I, you can't see it, but the sign right behind my head here, that's the sign that's on front of the TARDIS. And yep. right at, sitting on top of that, you see that little line right there? Mm-hmm. That's a sonic screwdriver. So yeah. I mean, I've got you you've seen the pod basement and I've oh, got yeah. I've got a ton of Doctor Who you stuff. You got a little of everything going on down I there. I got a little of everything. So yeah. it's I always I do always kind of struggle like, with with that because people are the worst. Look at this Dalek, dude. That's a that's a dope Dalek. Dude, that's sweet, isn't it? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> that is like a legit little Dalek. I love it. Um, so yeah, so aside from the book of Boba Fett and loving it, mm-hmm. <laughs> we watched the new series on Netflix called Murderville with Will Arnett. Have you heard of that? I saw the trailer for it, and he has like a new celebrity guest like every, and they don't every know anything. episode. And they don't oh, know. Oh, really? It, lo- yeah. it, it looked pretty planned to me. Well, the the show is, but the the guest star doesn't have a script, and they're actually trying to. They are trying to actually figure out the murder. Don't they know that's Will Arnett who they're with, though? Yes, but they so don't... they think that them and Will Arnett are trying to solve a murder together. What? I'm confused. I, I don't know. I'm confused. <laughs> I'm confused. How are you confused? This is not difficult. The actor is playing yeah. themselves, partnered okay. with Will Arnett's character, Detective okay. Terry Seattle. But okay. the actors themselves, they 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 don't get a script. Oh, really? For their episode. Oh, so the way I was thinking it is that they like I knew that the celebrities would come on and I thought the celebrities really thought that they were helping an actual police station or you know wow, solve you a really murder. I don't think very highly of those celebrities. <laughs> Dude, no. I watched literally a single trailer for this show and I had no idea what was going on. I can't believe that's the conclusion you came to from it literally tells like, someone, you that they don't have a will, script. And, and Will Arnett has this <laughs> 
fake mustache on, and for some reason, I'm thinking these celebrities can't tell that's Will Arnett. It's like the whole Superman thing when you take put on and take off the glasses. Wow. Oh, don't give me that. Yeah. Don't no, so give you, me that. Wow. So you really thought like Sharon Stone didn't know what the fuck she was getting into. That she thought she was actually helping <laughs> a detective on, solve a murder. Don't put me on the spot on judging Sharon Stone. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I don't know. Do you want? I'll watch it. You I'll should. Watch it's the hilarious. Show. If you're right, it sounds like you're recommending this to me. Well, I am well, now because you didn't I understand gotta... it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that I misinterpreted what the trailer was trying to convey to me, but I will watch it. I will watch it because it did look funny. It's it hilarious. Look... Okay. Um, Kumail Nanjiami, I think, is my favorite episode. And Marshawn Lynch. Oh, the football player? Yeah. He's, oh, okay. He's he's so funny he does a, he does so yeah they don't so the the guests the celebrity guest they don't have a script okay and so they're kind of they kind of have to improv and ad lib their way through it oh okay and but they are treating it like it's an actual quote real murder oh okay but you can tell when will breaks and you can tell when the celebrity breaks and even like the supporting cast when they're in That's scenes good. when they there's so there's always quote like a dead body yeah and, okay but when you see the bodies and if you watch them close enough during some of these scenes you can see them breaking <laughs> <laughs> so if you like watching right. comedians trying to improv and keep a straight face during everything um is Will Arnett? If you can enjoy out of that, this? this is right up there. So is Will Arnett scripted, or is he? Or, he's, or, or his is more script. Yeah, but so he's he's, pr- he's probably got to piggyback off the ad libs from the from his celebrity guests, though. He does, and there's there's definitely times where he's more or less like. Oh, now you have to take over the case because I got to go do this other thing real quick, and just kind of oh, leaves them, leaves gotcha. the celebrity to then improv with the rest of the cat, you know, whoever. Oh, in the that scene sounds with. so good. <laughs> so everyone else is in character, but the celebrity guest. All right. They're the only quote in character that they are is that they are quote, a detective in training. I'm so into this. It's it, there's half an hour episodes. They're so good. And then because they go through and they interview all the, the three, diff, three main suspects. And during these interview processes, they do drop clues and hints as to whether or not they are or not the killer. Mm-hmm. So these are the clues that the celebrity detective in training has to kind of pick up on. And by the end of the episode, it's almost like a, a rose ceremony where mm. they're like, okay, okay, Kumail, which one did it? You know, you have to give uh, this thing, whatever is related to the case, to the person you think did it. Yeah. And... They'll present, they'll say who they thought is the killer, why, and then the chief always comes in, what's going on here? And Will Arnett's like, so-and-so solved the case. And so then she says whether or not they were right, and then all the clues, and then they, they reveal all the clues that were there to say who did mm-hmm. or didn't do it. Oh, that's funny. So you do kind of get to play along. It's very like uh, structured, formulatic in that sense. There's always a, a bit where the celebrity guest has an earpiece in and they just have to repeat what Will Arnett says. I think the first mm-hmm. episode is Conan. And that's a really good <laughs> one, too. So if you're okay. a fan of Conan O'Brien, I that am. was really good. Ken Jong is in it. 
Uh, oh. The last episode. Ken Jong is just a treasure. Is so, he not? <laughs> oh my God. I, I love that guy. So yes, I recommend Murderville. It's a lot okay. of fun. It's a short watch. It's like six episodes. They're only half hour long. I'm sorry I yelled at you. Much like Abe, <laughs> I needed to have this experience with you right now yes. to understand what to take from it. So thank you. You're I'm welcome. not even mad that you just spit up blood and yell I- at me. <laughs> <laughs> I know I need to clean my microphone now. <laughs> I am sorry I yelled at you, but no, I know you're fine, I, dude. I didn't know how else to read. <laughs> <laughs> you're totally cool. You're totally cool. I'm used to the abuse. It's <laughs> used to be, and that's why you're here because you're ever so tolerated, and Thanks. I appreciate you. So yeah, I love being here. You know it. I know. Well, thank you for being here today, mm-hmm. and. Thank you, Bubblies, for listening, and um, we'll be back with season three as soon as we can be. Uh, but until then, Eric will be on the Patrick Swayze episode, which will be dropping probably in a couple weeks. I don't uh, – time, it's weird. You'll figure um, it out. Yeah, I'll figure it out. You'll <laughs> follow me on the socials, and you'll know. Mm-hmm. So you'll hear from him again soon-ish. And But until then, thanks for listening, and keep streaming. Bye. Bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to let me know by rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcast fix. Follow me on Twitter at Streaming Bubble. Find me on Facebook and Instagram as My Streaming Bubble. Have thoughts, suggestions, questions, or want to be tolerated? Email me at MyStreamingBubble at gmail.com. If you want to show your love and support for this little old podcast in monetary form, search My Streaming Bubble over at buymeacoffee.com and buy me a cheese wedge. And if you want to take that love and support to the next level, head over to Redbubble where you can find and purchase My Streaming Bubble merch. All monetary support goes right back into this podcast from new recording equipment to night cheese. Thanks for your support and keep streaming.